Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's happening, Mike Schmidt, 40-Year-Old Boy Podcast? Happy New Year! It is 2020, certainly where I'm at. It's Wednesday right now as I record this, 2020. Uh, was there no music? I don't think there was music there in the beginning. I don't know, i have to double-check. Of course, I'm the guy putting the show together, so there wouldn't be music, or at least if there wasn't going to be music, I would know about it. Probably, yes. Right? <clears throat> Probably. Uh, so, let's touch base on why there's no music. It is, uh, it is the first episode of 2020. 2020. Hugh Downs, Barbara Walters, all the memes you've seen out there lurking, the Ramones, 2020, 24 hours to go. All of those were just flying around at, uh, at incredible speeds, and everybody was so clever. That's the best thing about 2020. I think everybody gets to be super clever even faster than they were in 2019. Aren't you excited to get a, just a fucking tsunami of clever in your face? Oh, it's going to be great. Uh, you know what we're going to do this week? This is not going to count against your, your regular episode uh, an- announcement or a- annulment or annulment. No, that's a allotment. There you go. Jeez, see, that's that'll explain one of the reasons why I'm not doing a fucking show because um, my brain doesn't work. I got to soak my head. Um, truthfully, again, 2020 is now. <laughs> oh, man, I can't even talk. 20, uh, 2020 is now year calendar flip. The lady with the thing and the dates and the moving of the sun around the earth. Ooh. Yes, I know the earth revolves around the fucking sun. Shut the fuck up. Uh, so, so I, uh, here's the deal, man. Like I, everybody's like, how'd you spend your new year's Eve, man? How'd you usher in 2020 and the end of decade? Well, here's how I ended my decade. I ended my decade in a car last night. Uh, I decided I wasn't, I wasn't gonna, I, you know, I have to get, well, for, let's talk about this with 2020 upon us. We need to, uh, you know, I have a list. I have plans, you know, this, and I'll talk more in detail about those next week, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it a week to germinate a week to, uh, to live my cleanest life, my best life to live my 2020 and beyond life. And then we get to talk about that next week, but I'll tell you a little bit about it now, uh, because today was January 1st. What did I do today? Well, let's talk about the end of, uh, 2019, which was lurking in there. Oh, well, fuck that. I have a list. I have plans of things I need to do and have to do and will do. Uh, my fridge just turned on and made a weird noise. I, things are falling apart in my house, by the way. My microwave clock doesn't work anymore. And I looked at this is you don't get the I just the right you don't get the right to be upset at appliances, uh, really, when they've done their job. Because my microwave, I looked and the clock went out. I went, oh man. So I fucked with it for about 
you know, nine seconds. Cause what the fuck do I do? Punch it. I don't know. So I punched some buttons, tried to fix the clock. And then I was like, ah, fuck, whatever. But I mean, I've had this microwave for 22 years. I mean, again, like my fridge finally ate it. I had to get a new fridge. Uh, my microwave finally cashed in. I'm, although it's still cooking food, it's still hot inside. It still goes to uh, nuclear extravaganza levels. Like if I were to put a uh, some sort of a small rodent that you would keep in a habit trail and I wrapped it in duct tape and I threw it in there and I popped it, it would it would still blow up because the heat would be intense. There's still radiation. I My microwave, uh, this is what I should be worried about. My, my microwave still contains radiation, but the clock doesn't work. It's just a matter of time till it starts leaking radiation, correct? I mean, if it's not doing so already... My, my balls have been tainted right now. If I bang anybody and I get them knocked up, they're going to squeeze out a kid whose clock won't work, which is not good. I think we all know that this world has been taken over by fucking children whose clocks don't work. Fuck that. that yeah, that's my new, uh, you know, for 2020, that's our new phrase. People are always like, hey, his elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. <laughs> no, man, that dude's fucking clock don't work. Let's do it that way. So my microwave uh, ate it. What the fuck am I even telling you about this for? Anyway, the point is. 2019 is coming to an end. And I've got a list. I've got plans. And in involved in all of this, I have, uh, as I talked about last week, you know, I'm changing my uh, sleep schedules. I'm changing my workout schedule. I'm changing my diet. And I'm changing uh, my, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, sleep, uh, work. Oh, work schedule. There you go. So uh, in addition to this, clearly, which is my job and my work, and I've mentioned incorporating things for Patreon, YouTube, whatever the fuck, we'll talk more about this next week, but um, I, I need to figure out a time to drive. Now, you know, I didn't drive a whole lot in 2019, and uh, only some in the summer, as you know, because I was very, I, I was taken aback. Quite, quite frankly, I didn't have to because... I did okay this year. You guys were very generous and I did all right. And, and, uh, there were some hail Marys that landed and there was, and we did okay. We didn't, we didn't thrive. We survived. Bills were paid. Food was on the table. The kids had shoes. It was fine. It worked out great. Uh, but now, you know, it, it comes to be where I, I, as I mentioned, I'm not going to waste. This is the year of, I will 2020 is the year of, I will. And again, we'll get into more of this next week as we talk. Um, so I, I have to arrange a work schedule where I'll be driving during the week, even though they've cut the fucking money so much. Uh, if I still work, you know, if I drive four days a week and I drive for five hours a day, I'd, again, I'll go into more detail next week, but I think I'll be driving from like seven and midnight kind of at least four times a week. Um, I just, I don't want to be out late when the drunks are out vomiting and all that kind of stuff. I, as good as it was for the show and the content that it brought to you guys. And you were all very lovely and attentive and very nice telling me, Mike, you don't have to do this. But like I said, especially with me, you know, wanting to go out and do stand up or trying to go to open mics and things like that. And also making this happen and streaming. Uh, by the way, if you're listening to this today, uh, it's coming out on Thursday. I'm recording it on Wednesday the first, but this is the second when you're hearing it. And it will let you know that I'm streaming today. I'll be, I'm, I'm returning back to streaming. I tried to stream last week. And uh, my fucking PlayStation ate it. And, and so I'm still in the midst of, I, well, look, I'm not in the midst of fucking anything. I'll be honest with you. I, I looked at it. And I went, fuck, man. Like I did all the things that it said to do online and it's still kind of bricked. So now I'm going to have to get like an, a, a fucking external hard drive and put an update on and then put that in the machine. And uh, so that's, that's a lot of what today is, is going to be doing Wednesday and also tomorrow, Thursday, if I don't get it done today on Wednesday. Um, but I, I, so, so, all right, so let's talk about this. So driving, I'll be streaming a lot going forward. I'll be driving. I'm getting, you know, I have a schedule imparted where I'll be doing all these things, but you don't care. We'll talk more about it next week. 
but importantly, um, I, I I got an email like I wasn't going to drive. And the New Year's Eve people ask me, they go, you're going to drive New Year's Eve. And that's like, that's just the fucking worst, man. You don't want to drive New Year's Eve because it's just it's you know, it's amateur night. Everybody fucking knows that. No one knows should be out ever out of their house on New Year's Eve unless you're at another person's house. Don't go to a bar. Don't go to a club, whatever the fuck. And don't drive Uber or Lyft. You don't want to do those things. But uh, two days before New Year's Eve, I get an email from Uber and it said, hey, man, um, it didn't really say that. It was Tommy Chong. He now runs Uber. He's very, hey, man, <laughs> is Dave going to drive on New Year's Eve? No, man, Dave's not here. Dave's never here. Uh, that's our buddy, Jimmy Pardo. I uh, will tell you that I got an email from them and it said, hey, man, here's your bonuses, possibilities for New Year's Eve. And it was if you drove from six o'clock to 10 o'clock and you did eight rides between six and 10, you got 35 bucks, extra bucks. Uh, fuck that, man. Nobody wants $35. What the fuck is that? And I don't get off my couch for less than 50. <laughs> That's my motto in 2020 as well. I will. And hey, man, I don't get off my couch for less than 50 bucks. Uh, but also in the same email, it said also New Year's Eve night. If you drive from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., if you complete 13 rides, you will get $120. So. That's a pretty good deal. That's like 10 bucks on top of the fares as well. So, you know, the fares are also with the with they've ended surging, but what they do is they add this this weird price on top of your what you do. So, all right, just uh, let's say this. If you go out and you're in a section where on the map it says plus $3. That means if you take the minimum ride from somebody and it's, you know, you're going to earn $4 from a minimum ride, they will add $3 on top of it because it's busy. So it's $7. Now, it used to be like the surge would be two times or three times in that area, which meant you'd get eight or $12. So as you can see, they've cut the prize, uh, the prices or the, the, the payouts by 25%. They announced that earlier in the year. So the fucking money is, is not as good, whatever the fuck, but I didn't care. I was like, you know what? I can do 13, right? Cause 13 rides, you know, you're looking at that's four hours, three, three, a ride, uh, an hour. And if you're lucky, you get a couple of short ones. And I, you know, I figured if I'm done by two, I'll go out and drive from 10 to two and I'll be okay and try to make that extra 120 bucks. So, uh, so I went out last night to drive and, uh, and I was, I'm, you know, you know me, I leave the house. I turn on the app. Boom. I'm in the Valley. I get pinged right away by Jessica. I will tell you this. The first uh, three rides I picked up were uh, that was, that was fucking six, eight, no, eight. Yeah. Eight really nice pairs of, no, and not eight pairs of legs, eight legs, eight legs. I didn't mind seeing on fucking new year's Eve night. That was pretty good. Uh, a lot of girls with little crowns on their head. They were going out to parties, which was fine. Uh, but I mean, I had five rides within an hour. So I'm like, this is cool. And again, they were short rides, but there was still a little money on top of it. And I was happy with that. And, and the way I worked, it was, I, I wound up driving basically last night from 10 o'clock to four o'clock. Um, I was going to quit it too. And I could have actually, but I found myself down Dudes, I was way past Manhattan Beach. I was in fucking Rolling Hills and Torrance, and and it didn't work out great because I should have been in West Hollywood. But at the same time, everybody's in West Hollywood, and I was in a spot where I might be one of the only motherfuckers down there. So I kept getting pinged to take people from parties to their homes, like a bunch of kids, a lot of young kids, and I, they were only going three miles, you know. But it's, I was just stacking rides like cordwood. That's all I fucking cared about, man. I just wanted to get the fuck out of there. So I'm in, uh, the first, you know, like I said, the first five rides. The fifth ride is in West Hollywood because I started in the Valley. I had three in the Valley. And then I took a woman from the Valley down to West Hollywood on Sweetser. And then I got pinged a pool ride. Now, pool, you know how it works. I can get multiple people. So I'm like, this is a good way to stack rides because, again, I just wanted to be home by fucking two. So I picked these girls up for a fucking pool ride in West Hollywood. 
They're going 25 miles south to Manhattan Beach. And on a pool ride, it just it just isn't it's not worth it, but it's fine because you're just you're just going to make you're going to make 20 bucks. If that 18 bucks, you know, and that's exactly what, how it turned out. Because then I want to pick it up one other guy on the pool to go down toward there. And I mean, they it used to be you got paid for each individual fare. Well, now they make that just one complete ride. So their, their thing is, oh, man, you're heading that way anyway. So why not just take this guy? At least that's the way the math works out for it. Whatever the fuck. But even worse, here's the thing that was even worse. And what gets to me why I'm not doing or we're, we're bringing you, uh, you know, a classic today. Uh, not really a classic. Just just to show that I think. um I think I want to revisit and, and maybe you'll agree. But uh, the women that were going to uh, to Manhattan Beach, they were Swedish and they were young and they were like, they, they, I, I got to witness the whole like young people courtship thing happening where they were, they had just met a guy and she's like, go to his Instagram. And they're like, like one of his photos. She's like, which one? She goes, well, make it a recent photo. Don't scroll back. That's creepy. And they had, but they had a Swedish, they, they kind of an accent. I can't even do it. Um, but very clipped, you know, like very much. I, our buddy Stephen Mudd is in fucking Sweden. He's going to make fun of me for doing this fucking voice. But yeah, almost not to like a this, but ugh, fuck, I didn't, can't even. What am I trying to do? I'm going to hurt myself. But you know what? I'll tell you this. I don't give a fuck. I can't do a Swedish accent and I can't speak like them. But I can tell you this language they spoke. You want to hear this language they spoke? This. <coughs> they spoke that fucking language. And I knew. I fucking knew rest of the night. I drove, I picked people up. Some guy insisted on shaking my hand just after he had coughed in his hand. He's a drunk dude. He wanted to be a pilot. He was telling me about his girlfriend. She was driving him crazy. I mean, it's, it's again, I'm back on the fucking electronic saddle or the, the, the horsepower saddle, whatever the fuck you want to call it. electronic. Well, I have a hybrid. I have a hybrid. Yeah. I'm back on the electronic saddle, but, um, I wound up driving, like I said, from 10 to four. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you this, I was trapped down in Redondo and I was doing all these Manhattan Beach on the shit. And finally, it was like three. That's my thumb. Not anything weird. And that was it was like three, three o'clock in the morning. Now nah, it was two forty five. And I was like, fuck this. I turned the app off and I drove back toward West Hollywood because that's where the money was. It had stopped being busy where I was. So I get to West Hollywood and I'm driving. And I turn the app on. And the surge is still like, it's like 14 bucks on top of the, you know, like I said, remember I said, it's $3 on top of it's so busy in Hollywood. It's still, it's 14 bucks on top of whatever the ride was. So if you drove a minimum ride for $4, you'd make $18. It was, it was good. So I'm driving, I'm driving. I'm like, all right, nobody's pinging me. Cause that's another fucking thing. I'm, I'm in the middle of the fucking soup and nobody's pinging. It's an orange map. I'm driving. And then finally I get pinged and it's on Santa Monica Boulevard, but there's no convenient place to stop. So I have to do a U-turn. I pull over and there's a dude and he opens my door and he goes for Craig. I said, no, man, I'm looking for Mike. And he goes, oh no, not me. And he closes the door. And then this guy, Mike walks out with his girl and they get in my car and I slide it. And again, like I said, it's, it's three 15 in the morning and they're going to fucking Anaheim 40 miles. And like I said, you know, I, I had the fucking, the, the surge is well on top of it. So I, I just said, are you really going to Anaheim? He goes, yep. I go, all right, let's do it. And then I told him the story because that happened to me once before. If you'll remember a long time ago, I was coming home to the Valley after driving like 13 fucking hours one night and I left my app on and some dude about a mile and a half from my house pinged me and I picked him up and he was going down to Anaheim 40 miles. And I did it because I'm a fucking mercenary and I like money. So I took this dude and he was super nice. His girl went right to sleep and he and I talked and we talked about Uber and Lyft and his job, construction, whatever the fuck. Uh, and I dropped him off. And like I said, it's 40 miles, but I still don't know what Uber's new math is because dudes, that ride was a hundred bucks. 
I opened it up and it said that I, you know, it was the 40 initial, like 38 on the way down plus the 13. Plus they said, I guess they charged him a surge price and they don't, this, this is the way it works. They don't show the drivers what the surge is anymore. They credit you after the fact with a portion of the surge proceed. So, I mean, I don't fucking know. The whole thing's a goddamn magic trick. It's literally, it's like I, I get in my car, I bounce a rubber ball that comes out the car four feet away and fucking Hugh Jackman claps. You know what I mean? I don't fucking know anymore. So I, I just, I make whatever money they're going to fucking give me and, and hope that in 2020, I don't have to fucking do it anymore. I can go out and do stand up and talk to you guys and whatever the fuck, that'd be fine. But, uh, but it was, but it was a hundred bucks on that final ride. And I mean, I wound up doing like 20 rides for the night. Now I got to schlep home, of course. Um, now as you, I will tell you this, as you know, I got a list, I got plans. So last night I was out, I was driving and yes, it was past midnight, but also I had driven all night. Oh, and uh, so three different people, I didn't even tell you this, three different people hacking coughs. Uh, the dude who shook my hand, uh, the Swedish chicks and, uh, and another guy I picked up in Rolling Hills coming out of a Christmas party. that was full of rich people who said, Oh, I'll tip you handily for this. Didn't give me a fucking dime. Um, but <laughs> But whatever. I mean, again, we, you know this. You live a life. You drive. You you work a job. Whatever. I you know. I I don't want this to turn into. Hey, look, this job stinks. Everybody's job fucking stinks. But just telling you what happened. But I knew. I fucking knew. So I dropped the guy in Anaheim, and then I was like, I, I there was a McDonald's like right around the corner, and it was open, and I was and I look. I will tr- be truthful. I said, hey, this is a reward. It's your final goodbye to fast food, and it is your. Uh, you're, you're bored. I, I can't, my issues with food are deep. And one of them is when I get bored, I want to eat. That's all I want to do. I do it to avoid work. I use it as a fucking cudgel. I use it as a weapon. I use it as a shield and I use it just to fucking as a, as a fucking pacifier to placate myself. So I was like, all right, you know what? And I actually took a photo. I'll post it on the little Schmitty's attaboy fit brigade of what I ate last night before I went out. Uh, and then, and then today, new day, new dawn, new us, new everybody. Let's get after it. So, uh, so I, I pulled into the McDonald's drive through and it was one of these McDonald's drive throughs where it was really long and narrow. Like it was this really tight alley. So I pulled in and I'm behind a car and, uh, and then in my head, I'm going, why, why are you doing this, man? Cause I still had, I had some leftovers at the house that I would have wanted to eat. I'm like, I could just go home and eat those. Cause I bought them as a farewell meal. I literally bought my farewell meal before I left the fucking house. I bought fried rice and fucking soup dumplings. I'll just tell you. And so I'm like, this is, I'll eat this. And then I had half the fried rice left in the fridge. I'm like, I can go home and eat fried rice right the fuck now. Get out of this drive through. So then I'm trying to back up and it's this tiny little fucking Hitchcock hall, uh, Hitchcock hallway of an alley. It's all, it's narrow and shit. It just, it's just fucking, it's terrible. It was like, you know, I'm cause I got, and I got to back up. Like if I could put, drive through it, that's no problem. That's just like giving birth. Now you're a baby sliding head first in and you're fucking safe. But I felt like, you know, cause I've got to back up. Now I'm coming out feet first. I'm breach. I'm fucking breach coming out of this goddamn joint. Uh, and I'm getting close to the curb and then the wall and I don't want to ding anything. And then I just, you know, I finally went, you know what? You're in the fucking line. Just order a fucking sandwich or whatever. So I pull up and there's two cars in front of me and there's a, there's a white van, SUV van. And he's uh, ordering and I can see the board, right? Like I can, I can't really hear him talking, but I hear the little metallic voice, whatever the fuck. And so he's ordering food and I just see the number going up. And, and finally he's, he's ordered, he orders $28 worth of food at a fucking McDonald's drive through at four o'clock in the morning. What the fuck are you doing? So I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. So I was texting with somebody. I'm like, dude, this fucking guy just ordered $28 of the fucking food. This makes no sense. And then there's a BMW in front of me. We're both fucking waiting. 
So then the BMW pulls up after fucking Mr. 28, Mr. Four Sevens, Mr. Two Fourteens orders his fucking food and comes around the corner. And sure enough, uh, the BMW gets up there and these guys are like, this is crazy. They're yelling at one another, like a lot of N word flying out and a lot of back and forth to the point where I'm like, is this a fight? Like, are these guys going to fucking jam? I don't know if they were just like loud and drunk or having a good time or whatever the fuck, but it was a lot. It, it was it was boisterous, friends. And again, I'm an old man. I, I already know that there's germs in my car. I'm going to be laid the fuck up for days. This is fucking awful. I had a couple of Swedes in there earlier. I can't be exposed to this kind of language and aggression. Uh, but sure enough, they were going back and forth. They're talking and there's yelling and there's yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then they start with the fucking electronic chick and I'm behind them and they start ordering dudes. But dudes, what the fuck? Just itemized orders. Order number one. I want this. Blah, 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 blah. Order number two. I want this. Blah, blah, blah. They dudes. They start ordering all this itemized fucking food and bags and, and fucking sodas and all this. And I'm shakes and and I, I'm getting pieces of it, you know, and then the woman is saying it uh, you know, out loud back to them. And they're just kind of going, no, I said this. And the number keeps going up, keeps going up. I actually took a photo of it. I, I took a photo. They ordered forty five dollars worth of fucking food at McDonald's. Forty five bucks. That reminds me of like when I would spend 15 bucks at Taco Bell. And people are like, how the fuck do you spend 15 at Taco Bell? I go, look at me. How the fuck do I not spend 15 at Taco Bell? I don't know how many people were in this fucking car. And again, it must have been that drunk ordering thing. You know, you know, how, you know, when you're so fucking drunk, you're like, I want caramel apples. You know what I mean? Like whatever fucking dumb dessert you've ever seen on the menu, you've never ordered. But the Jack in the Box is good for that. Jack in the Box is the ultimate drunk place to order food. Because you just pull up and all of a sudden they're like, hey, you want egg rolls? You're like, what the fuck? Of course I want egg rolls. It's three o'clock in the morning. Why would they have egg rolls at a fucking joint? But they do. They got that. And it's, it's like when you would go to Hardee's and they'd have fucking like uh, or potato cakes at Arby's or fucking ricotta dumps or whatever the fuck. So sure enough, these motherfuckers are ordering all this food. And I'm like, oh, Christ, man, I, I can't. I'm, I know, and now there's people behind me. There's I can see three cars that are going around the bend. I don't know how many more are in the Hitchcock hallway behind me. So I, they fucking itemize, they do all this bullshit and they pull up and then I pull up to the fucking side and the woman goes, can I help you? And I go, holy fuck, what the hell was that all about? And she goes, nothing but complete nonsense. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, all right, man. And she goes, what can I get you? I said, you know what? I said, I, uh, do you guys still have that two filet of fish for five bucks? Because dudes, I will mow down a fucking filet of fish. And that's what I get at McDonald's. That's my call, man. A lot of people get a will drink. They got a call that they like at a bar. I like a filet of fish. You know why? Because that bun is so spongy and it's so hot and then it's got that fucking heaping glob of tartar sauce on it. God damn, I love it. They got that cheese on there that serves no purpose. What the fuck? I, why is that on there? Nobody knows. Just because somebody said, you know what this thing needs? Orange. Yeah, you're goddamn right it does. Let's throw some fucking orange in this sandwich. So uh, I said, you know, that? do you still have the two filet of fish for five bucks? She goes, oh, I'm sorry. I said, what's the, oh, wait a minute, what? It's, that's okay, I'll just get one. And she goes, no, no. Um, we stopped selling filet of fish at 4 a.m. Now, dudes, I got I got in this fucking line at 10 to 4. 10 to 4. And I, so I, I said, uh, I, I, was in, I got in line at 10 to 4. She goes, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I go, I said, the nonsense, guys. They fucking, they ruined it. They took away my filet of fish. She goes, I know. I'm really sorry. I said, I don't want breakfast. I don't. And she goes, well, we have other sandwiches. And I go, like, I, I don't want a McDouble. And I want a real fucking, you guys have Big Macs? She goes, yeah, we have Big Macs. I go, oh. Okay, well, have you got Big Mac? You got quarter pounders? She goes, we do. I said, oh, is it the fresh quarter pounder? She goes, it is. And I go, oh, fine, all right. I go, but man, I wanted a filet of fish. She goes, I know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, so I go, just give me a, uh, I'll take a double quarter pounder with uh, cheese and, and no pickles, extra onions. 
And uh, she goes, okay, what else? I said, nothing. She goes, you don't want any fries, no drink? I said, no, I'm good. That's all I want is a sandwich. And she says, terrific. It's, it's 649, whatever the fuck, come around the corner. So I come around the corner. And, uh, you know, there's the ominous BMW in front of me and the fucking SUV van, whatever the fuck, hybrid thing in the front. And then there's a guy in front of them at the window and he's getting his food. So I'm waiting. They're on the clock. I'm looking. It's tick, tick, ticking. And uh, I'm texting him with somebody and I'm like, I can't believe this is fucking happening. They're out of filet of fish. I was in line before that. But nobody wants. And that's can you imagine somebody hearing me bitch at four in the fucking morning about fucking fast food. What a monster. And I know you're like, oh, my quarter, double quarter pounder in the middle of the night. Well, you're really changing your life. Fuck you. It was a fucking final death rattle to 2019 in the old ways. I got a list. I got plans. And right now we're getting after it in 2000 fucking 20. So, uh, so I sat there because then in my brain, I'm like, well, I'll just throw away the leftovers that I got at the house. I don't need, I can't eat fried rice now. And then I'm like, well, maybe I can pick the shrimp out of there. I'm like, fuck you. Just throw it away. Uh, and I know you're thinking to yourself, how, how are you contemplating all this in the line? Well, I had plenty of fucking time to contemplate it in the line because fucking hybrid fucking white van and BMW in front of me, these motherfuckers, this, this $73 combined fucking fast food order in front of me. That's ruining my fucking 2020 is just sitting there. They're not, they're not paying. They're not getting the window open. They're not, because again, man, it's a skeleton fucking crew. These poor people are working like new year's Eve night and they, I'm sure they're ready for drunks and business, but they're not ready for that kind of bullshit, man. And then you, you come at them with fucking $73 with the fucking orders of, of cheeseburgers and bullshit that nobody fucking wants. Yeah. Chicken McGriddles and get the fuck out. I mean, what is wrong with you, man? Go home, pour a bowl of cereal and go to sleep. You drunk fuck hydrate, drink a bunch of fucking water, get a nap and start the year uh, the next day unfilled with grease and death. Says the man who's in line waiting for his double quarter pounder with cheese to eat on the way home for no good reason. And also I'll tell you this. I ordered that motherfucker out of spite filet of fish. I could wolf while I'm driving. You ever try to eat a double quarter pounder while you're fucking driving? You're just going to wind up with fucking ketchup hoodie 2020. I don't fucking want stains on my shit, but unfortunately I'm going to get stains on my shit, but I decided it was worth it as a quote unquote reward because I'm fat. So I'm in line and these fuckers are waiting. And, and then I started literally, it was so fucking boring. I start filming everybody. I film these motherfuckers. I film just to see when the window will open and what they pay and all this shit. The fucking van dudes, they get their stuff in pieces. And then they, of course, everybody's got to go through the bag and go, well, I sort of had this. Well, I might've had this. Well, where's my hot apple pie? Well, what the fuck, man? Hey, this isn't what I wanted. You fucking humps. How do you, you don't even know what the fuck you ordered. You ordered fucking seven minutes ago at the goddamn line window. And then you pulled the fuck up and you got no idea. You have forgotten in these 15 minutes what you wanted. You don't even, you don't even remember you're at McDonald's. Sure enough, food comes out. They start looking through the bag. The guys in the fucking van do. They give one bag back. They get the bag back. So I guess there's stuff that gets replaced. Who the fuck knows? I don't know. I'm sitting there and I'm not joking. The van finally pulls away. The BMW pulls up and he sits there for a good six minutes. Nobody even comes to talk to him. I'm like, these guys haven't paid yet. This is like the, I'll tell you what, if somebody ordered $46 or whatever the fuck from me, $48 a fucking food from McDonald's, the first fucking thing I would do is I would have fucking grimace, open that window and get that fucking money. Cause these guys are going to split. They're going to fucking take off. You know that they're going to fucking, they order all this shit as a goof. And then they drive the fuck off into the night. Ha <laughs> ha. Happy new year. Beep, beep. You fucking dicks. And they're BMW guys. You know that you know, fucking BMW guys are limp dick assholes. If you have a BMW, I'm kidding. Please don't yell. Um, nobody, nobody, none of you people are BMW people, are you? And if you are, that's fine. I love your car. It's fantastic. You're lovely. Just, just, just don't order more than a fucking four saw bucks worth of goddamn food in the middle of the goddamn night.
So these motherfuckers roll up. And like I said, nobody gets their money. Now, if I'm them, I, I the first thing I make them do is fucking pay. I open the window and just go, I, I, even with a gun, if I'm the McDonald's person, pay me now what the fuck. I stick a fucking shotgun out like a, like a fucking hillbilly trying to get you to marry his daughter. Just fucking shink. Just a, a double barrel slides out the window. You got that $48? He ain't making any of this shit till you come over $48. I wouldn't make a fucking thing till they paid me. So sure enough, man, they fucking give these dudes, they, they put, reached out the window and the dude pays. And I'm like, I can't believe they paid for it. And there was no hassle. They're still yelling at one another, the N word, whatever the fuck. And then out of nowhere, she leans out and she gives them their change. And then, of course, she pulls out a fucking receipt that looks like a mummy's bandage. I mean, it, it is itemized like a motherfucker. Cause again, they wanted everything separate and all these different bags and all these fucking this, that, and the other goddamn thing. And it just, it just, I, I'll tell you a cashier at CVS would look at it and go, man, that's a big fucking receipt. I mean, it is, it is insane. Hands it to them, you know, and, and, and she literally, she didn't just hand it to them. It was in her sleeve and she kept pulling it out like magic scarves. Just like, yoink, 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 yoink. Here's that receipt you ordered friends. Uh, they're sitting there waiting. Then they get they get a tray of drinks. Then they get another tray of fucking drinks. Then they get a bag and another bag. And then they're and they're looking through the bag. You know they are. They get another bag. And then they're just and now they, they secure the bag, and they're looking and they're sitting and they're waiting. And I'm in the back and I'm in my head. Now I'm and I'm not joking. It's four twenty five. I have I have been in this line for thirty five fucking minutes. 35 minutes from the time of my aborted, let's back the fuck out of here and not do this to me chicken it out and going, ah, what the fuck? We'll just get a sandwich to then sitting there and watching these motherfuckers order the fucking gross national product of Ecuador worth of fucking greasy burgers. You fucks. Uh, they did it though. They got it. They got their food. And I'm sitting there the whole time there. I'm waiting. I'm contemplating in my brain. And then I'm trying to talk myself out of it. I'm like, Motherfucker, why are you getting a quarter pounder with cheese? Why are you getting a double quarter pounder? You can't eat this fucking thing while you're driving. And already I'd waited. Because look, if I got it initially and I got it right away, maybe I pull over and eat it at the parking lot. Maybe I do it that way. But now I got to drive home, man. I've I've already, because I get a schlep. I'm in fucking Anaheim. I've got to get home to fucking to the valley. And it's 40 miles. I still got a 40 mile drive ahead of me. And I'm going to what? I'm going to eat a fucking quarter pounder. And I, part of me is like, hey, can you guys cut this into quarters? Like I'm a child with an apple. I mean, it just because I don't want to fucking, you can't hold a whole, I mean, I can, I can pound a basketball. I can hold a whole double quarter pounder in my hand, but holding it and steering at 80 miles an hour while you're jamming it into your fucking face hole is, is, is a non-fucking starter. I can do it, but death is always lurking. Nobody wants that. So I got the burger in my, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, do I want this? Do I not want this? I got it on my mind. I'm like, I should get it. And, uh, and BMW, they fucking finish up their order and I'm filming. I'm film again. I'm filming a video for a friend and I'm filming it and, uh, they get their thing and they drive off and I go, all right, oh, that's it. You know what? Fuck it. You know what, honey, we're out of here. Jailbreak. And, and I fucking, the BMW went and I went, and I just fucking drafted behind him like fucking Tom Cruise in Days of Thunder. And I rolled, I rolled the fuck out of there. I, I was, you know, it's funny. They got a $28 van. They got a $46 fucking BMW and they got $7 shitbag Camry. That's the one who fucks up the order. That's the one who screws them. They got other dudes who are ordering a thousand dollars with a goddamn McDonald's frozen chow. And I'm the one who put a frown on the clown's face. What the fuck? Driving off in the middle of the night. I fucking ruined that. And again, it's not lost on me because I was accusing those motherfuckers. Like, they're going to ruin everything. These fucking guys are going to ruin everything, aren't they? And it turns out they weren't. I'm the one. I gummed up the works. I was the fly in the bowl of cereal. I said, fuck it. I'm ruining it. Ford it. Got out of there. Drove home. Ate the rest of my fried rice and fucking went to sleep. 
<laughs> and I woke up today, and I'm sure you can hear um, complete sinus. Uh, I got that headache thing that's about to start running a 99 right now. Not, it's a thing where it's like I'm not, I don't have a fever, I'm just a little warm right now. And if you you know you touch the cheeks and the forehead, you're like, nah, it's coming, it's coming. You know, I need like a fucking John Coleman or a Dallas Reigns or a Harry Volkman or a Tom Skilling or a fucking Flip Spiceland, one of those motherfuckers to just point at my head and go, oh yeah, there's a storm front moving in. There's this fucking guy. <laughs> you better watch out. This dude's got a storm front moving in. So I'm, uh, I'm a little achy. And I mean, but I look, I made really good money last night. That was another thing too, is in my brain, I was like, ah, it's a reward for your big hard work. I'm out of the fuck. And then I went, well, instead of a reward, motherfucker, why don't you drive the fuck home? Cause you already spent $20 on Chinese food tonight. No reason to buy a fucking hamburger that you don't need or really want. But that's how my value system works. That's how my head is. You need a reward. Hey, I get a reward. I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want. I'm I'm, I'm combination adult and child. Hence the 40 year old boy. So uh, that's what we're fighting in 2020. We're trying to be more 40 and less boy, but we'll see what happens anyway. uh, So I'm, I'm a little fried and, um, and also I, I, I did some thinking like, I heard a song last night and it, it, it reminded me of, of a show that I did last year. And also, um, you know, I, my friend, uh, Maki, whom, you know, we, we, uh, you know, unfortunately this year we lost Maki and, um, her friend Renee was in town and reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, did, did you want to get together? And I had texted her, said, yeah. And I, I didn't hear back from her. She was probably busy with, you know, real friends and acquaintances and family. But it got me to thinking. And then, you know, Facebook is always good to kick you in the fucking brain pan. Uh, and, and so I saw Maki wishing me a happy new year. And um, and so it made me think of her and it made me think of losing her. And it made me think of this year and, you know, at loss. And, and it made me think of discussions with her where I would talk about how I wanted to change my life and how now in 2020, I think um, I think I'm ready to do that. And uh, and I'd like to, you know, I'd, I know she'd support it and I'd like to make her proud. So. Um, I've talked far too long here. I, I, we're going to revisit, um, a show from February. I'm not going to go too far back into the, uh, the catacombs, if you will. I'm going to bring a show from February to you guys. It was, um, it was the show where we learned about my friend Brody and we learned about my friend Maki. And, uh, I, I think, you know, it's, um, 2019 was, was, yeah, it's, it wasn't a bad year for me personally, but maybe worldwide. And I, I know other people who suffered loss. You know, um, our friend Angelo, I mean, all, all sorts of people who, who wound up losing people or, or relatives or people close to them. And, and, uh, and so it doesn't hurt to revisit this or maybe it will, it'll be done. It'll do nothing but hurt. Uh, but I want to revisit now. I'll tell you what, there's going to be music and plugs and all that shit. It's going to, I'm just putting in the, the whole episode. So, um, you know, hopefully you, you, you're not going to kill me for, for giving you that. I thought it was a good episode and I, and I, I like revisiting it. And also now, you know, fuck, I talked for how long now I, you know what? If get off my ass. All right. Fuck that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sniffling. Um, but you'll hear me sniffling in this coming show, not because I was sick, but because whatever. So, um, as I've mentioned, um, oh, and also let's do this. Cause the one plug that won't be here, cause I think I plugged Jesuit and all that kind of stuff, but the plug that won't be in there is the knife drop podcast. Our great friend, Rob Matsushita, please remember he's got the knife drop podcast, which is available now in the iTunes store. Go ahead and download it and check it out. It's fantastic stuff. I think his holiday show is probably still up because it is technically still the holidays. Uh, as I record this now, it's fucking, you know, what time is it? 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock PM on Wednesday, the first. 
Uh, so uh, technically by me, it is still the holidays. So go ahead and download that and check out our great friend Rob Matsushita with the Knife Drop Podcast. He does great things for us. You know all about Ryan. You know all about Mex. Um, you know about our great friend Fearful Jesuit and the Paranoid Strain. And uh, he's got a fantastic show up right now dealing about with uh, reality. Download all of them. Subscribe to all of them. Make sure you listen and, and think that they're great. And um, back next week where we'll talk about, um, you know, I... I I'm excited to bring you the progress of just the first week of the year um, because today I made great progress today. I mean, I, you know, again, the plan is to go to bed at one o'clock PM and or one o'clock AM. Jesus, 1 PM. That's my plan. I'm going to go to bed at 1 PM, get up at 10 AM, go back to bed at one. Um, no, I want to go to bed at one, get up at uh, nine. But today was January 1st. And, and unfortunately, because I drove uh, so late, I didn't get home until six. Uh, and then I was wired. So I didn't get to bed until seven. And then I slept in until like two thirty, and so I'm a little, you know, I. But then, thankfully, sickness has shown up to fatigue me. So I think I'll be able to get to bed tonight at one. Uh, but I did go to the gym uh, today. I went and did cardio, and uh, I'll tell you more next week about what my plan is regarding that. Uh, and I'm in the gym tomorrow for more cardio and lifting, whatever the fuck. It's it's all happening, and I'm I'm feeling very motivated. Today was beautiful, man. I got home from the gym, and I felt this sense of accomplishment. I, I got out of the car and. Someone was, was, they had a fire going. So it was like, it smelled like burning wood outside, but it was still like 60 degrees. So it was still really beautiful. And uh, it was kind of a gray twilight. You could smell the fire, but it still had like a, almost a, it was a breeze. They couldn't call it warm, couldn't call it cold, but it was just, it was like island still. And it smelled amazing. And I just, I felt fucking great. Whether I got sinus or head or flush cheeks or whatever the fuck, uh, I felt a sense of accomplishment and then, you know, I ate right today. I threw out a bunch of stuff in my fucking kitchen that that is not going to help anybody. And, um, we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, because you know me, I got a list. I got plans. Uh, so let's re- revisit February. Um, a show that needs revisiting, uh, sadness abounds and that's not good, but we remember our friends, uh, Brody and Maki. This, this show originally aired. I believe February 28th of 2019 and it was called the shadow looms. Hey, what's happening? Mike Schmidt, 40 year old boy podcast, little different. I know with no opening music, I'm coming at you cold, coming at you dry as we call in the business, no cold open or no theme song or however you want to term it. I don't think, I guess the theme song is a cold opener. I guess not. Technically it's not a cold open is before the theme song. That would be like, uh, well, actually, I guess this is a cold open. Hold on a second. Let me double back in, uh, and go ahead and talk about show business some more. Cause I don't know if you're aware of this. I have a fingernail in show business. I used to think I had a pinky in show business. Now I, I barely have a fingernail in, but it's enough for me to know that as I talk about this and I hear myself out that this is a cold open without a theme song. Uh, it is also, uh, a show I've, I've avoided doing. I didn't want to do this show this week. Um, you know, I, I just, uh, I didn't. So that's why we're doing this Wednesday night. Uh, <laughs> you know, I tried Monday. I, well, fuck no. That's even, that's even a lie. I, I didn't try. I mean, I, I, in my brain, I kept telling myself to do it. Uh, you know, last week's show was late and I apologize for that. But I, I, you know, this week, Monday, I was like, all right, you know, you got to do a show. Um, but after, I had a weekend that made me not want to talk, made me not want to do a show, made me not want to do this show in particular. Um, but, you know, you gotta, because you're an adult. 
you know, I'm 51 years old and, and you, you process things and you deal with them and you work your way through. I, th- I guess I'm lucky in a way to have this platform and I, I hope it doesn't come off as indulgent. You know, um, you guys have been very cool and you're always there for me when I have uh, good things, bad things. And I, I don't want this, this won't turn into some maudlin festival. Um, mainly because there's only one person here. <laughs> I can't see a festival happening with just one guy. That's not a festival. That's a, that's a one man show. And that's what we've got going here. Um, you know, I, I, again, I didn't want to do the show. I avoided it. And I, and I know you're thinking, well, what's different about that, buddy? You do it all the fucking time. Well, no, I, I'd done a pretty good job of wrangling myself before last week. And, uh, it's, it's. You know, as you get older, just time flies so fast. It just it just goes by. And it seems like, you know, Wednesday's here again. It just it just happened. Uh, I didn't expect it. And I, I was I spent a lot of the last five days overwhelmed. Um, and I didn't think I would be, you know, but I but I was. And, and also that comes from not having anyone you know, I can reach out. I can call people, I suppose. And, uh, you know, I, I walked outside. I felt the sun on my face. I threw cold water in my face. Um, all things to register. You're still, uh, functioning. You're still, you're okay. Even though you're not on the inside. And again, and I'm not, I'm not trying to trivialize. It's funny when you talk about these things, you wind up getting into your own brain and going, well, are you, you know, is this, is this performative? Is this something that's, that's constructive? I, you know, I, I avoided doing a lot of this online because I don't see the point in doing a lot of this online anymore. And I know for some people it's cathartic and they want to do this sort of thing online. And fuck, who am I kidding? I'm doing this now, which is essentially my version of online. This is my own. Uh, this is my I'm human Facebook right now. This is me. Um, this is my Facebook post. This is my tweet. This is my Instagram story. And I'm lucky enough to have brought it to you for the last 11 years through good and through bad. You know, we dealt with uh, a lot of different things, but, but the last five days were, were certainly tough and a challenge and, uh, and, and I didn't want to do this show, but as I said, you, you do things. And like I said, I don't, I'm not going to turn it into a big, you know, boohoo fucking festival, although it might, who knows? I don't, maybe I'm avoiding talking about what I want to talk about. Can you tell? Can you tell right now? I probably should have just had a fucking theme song in here. Uh, if anything, just to take the edge off for 35 seconds or 40 seconds or however long it is. But, uh, I'll recap, you know, and it's funny. I always think again, I, I see things through the prism of Facebook or I see things through the prism of Twitch these days when people are there and they see me and they hear me. And I got to realize that again, this is, this is job one. The podcast is where most people know me and the podcast is where most people consume me and my product. And, uh, so I have to spell out why I'm, you know, I've I've talked, (laughs) I've avoided talking about the, the, what I would call uncomfortable subject matter for long enough. And now, Hey, here we go. Let's dive headlong into the thing. I didn't want to talk about things. I didn't want to talk about the stuff. I didn't want to cover the stuff I've been avoiding. Like I said, a rough um, five days and, and certainly more rough for other people. You know, again, I don't I don't mean to, hey, look at me, this grief. Uh, there were certainly people who were closer to uh, to the subjects I'm going to discuss. But I this is my show and we deal with me and how I feel. 
Um, last Friday, I uh, I did a video game Twitch. You know, I do the Twitch stream. If you're not aware of that, I do it. Uh, and I was doing a Twitch stream on Friday afternoon, and I started at 3 o'clock, and usually... Uh, you know, if you haven't been to the Twitch stream, here's what happens. I'm spo- I tell people to show up at three because I'm going to be playing God of War or some nonsense. And, uh, and, and then people show up at three and then I wind up talking to them, uh, on screen for like 30 minutes. There's usually <laughs> a 30 minute preamble before I even play a video game, which I'm very lucky because the regulars are people who listen to this podcast and they want to hear from me and they enjoy me talking. But at the same time, there are new people who pop their head in and go, hey, look, Batman, who the fuck is this guy? Why won't he shut up? You know, that sort of thing where they're I'm sure they're just looking in and, uh, you know, they're not they're not interested in me or the things that I have to say. They're coming to watch Batman do a somersault. And, and here's just me talking about fucking sandwiches. And they're like, what the fuck is going on with this guy, man? So, uh you know, the preamble, whatever, the ramp up, whatever. I used to call this the ramp up on the show, but I would call it a preamble on Twitch because God knows language is important. <laughs> uh, so Friday, I'm on Twitch. And it's 3 o'clock. It's in the middle of the preamble. It's like 3.15. And I should tell you this. I talked about it on the podcast a little bit last week where I've, I've been following very closely. You know, I'm a Philadelphia Phillies baseball fan. And they are trying to sign one of the best baseball players in in the league, in the world. His name's Bryce Harper. And there were just snippets of news coming out every day. And none of them said anything that was true, as far as you know. It was just rumors. I mean, nothing confirmed anything. He didn't sign anywhere. But So it was just that thing where he might sign here. He might not sign here. He likes Philadelphia. He hates Philadelphia. He likes cheesesteak. Fuck cheesesteak. You know, a lot of that back and forth bullshit. But I immersed myself in it. And uh, along with the fan of the show, Ruben, he, he and I will will go back and forth a lot, a lot in the chat room of Twitch and we'll talk about Bryce Harper. So it's this thing where I I wind up attuned to it and I, I and, and it's it's just a constant thing. I check, you know, first thing in the morning, I check the Phillies tweeter, uh, tweeter, Twitter accounts to see where we're at. So um, I'm in the Twitch stream. And uh, it's like 3.20. And I'm talking, I don't know what the, again, I'm talking, I could be talking about anything in the fucking world. I don't know what I was discussing. And uh, in the chat room, I'll see things in the chat room that I address them on, on microphone. You know, they can see me on screen, but I can see their chats. And so someone said, hey, Mike, have you been to Twitter? I said, I have not, you know, not since like a half hour before the show here. And I'm like, oh, I have the Philly sign Harper. And everybody's like, no, it's no big deal. I said, okay. And I started talking. And uh, I believe a second person came. And I think it was Colette was my friend. She might have been the first person. And then another person wrote, uh, hey, Mike, have you seen Twitter? And in my, and then I went, all right, now you guys are just fucking with me. I mean, I, there's, they didn't sign Harper, right? And everybody's like, no, they didn't, they didn't sign Harper, but don't worry about it. I'm like, all right, well, I just, I, you can't, don't fuck with me because I'm going to turn on Twitch because that's the thing. It's, the Twitch usually takes minimum four hours, sometimes five. Here's what I did Sunday. I did a nine and a half hour Twitter stream. Uh, and that was mainly because I didn't want to think about the real world at all on Sunday. It was the culmination of what, uh, what was a, you know, a bad weekend, which has turned into five weird days. Um, so I, uh, you know, I saw that in the chat room, like, I, I go, dude, don't fuck with me. If they sign Harper, you got to tell me. And I'm about to jump in here for like four hours or five hours. And I need to know. And I was teasing everybody. And, and then finally a third person, I think it was actually Ruben. And he was like, Hey, have you seen Twitter? 
And I went, all right, fuck this. Now I'm checking. Now I got to find out what's going on. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. I go, no, no, bullshit. If they sign Harper, I have to fucking know. Uh, and I guess people didn't want, wouldn't want to break it to me in the stream. I, I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know. But I grabbed my phone and I, I signed in to Twitter. And, uh, you know, the, I saw nothing about the Phillies up top. And I scrolled down. And so I, I go, all right, well, go to, and I went to trending topics. And I saw the name Brody Stevens, who's my friend. And I, and immediately that thing happens in your brain where, you know, if somebody's trending on Twitter, the first thing you think of is, well, they're dead. Um, because it's always some celebrity. Whenever you see some odd celebrity, like you'll, if you, if you open Twitter and Val Kilmer is, is trending, you're like, well, either he called somebody the N word or he's dead. I mean, it's like nobody, you never, ever trend on Twitter for a good thing. Nobody, nobody ever cures lupus and gets their name in the fucking, the, the trending tweets. Um, it's always because you got milkshake duck then what the fuck so I saw Brody's name and, and like I said Brody's my friend and uh, so I kind of froze and I just tapped his name and the first thing I saw was uh, a tweet where somebody just went I can't fucking believe my friend is gone and I <laughs> I, I just I looked at the phone and I went and I just went <gasps> and I went oh no I think I don't remember exactly what I did and in what order, but I know it knocked the fucking wind out of me for me to see that my friend had committed suicide. And I wasn't, um, you know, I, I reacted to the phone. I was looking, I was reading, I was scrolling. And then in my brain, there was something that went, Hey, you're, uh, you're on television right now. And that was true because when you're on Twitch, there's a camera on and people can see you. So I had, you know, I didn't have a lot of people in the chat room, maybe 30. Uh, I'm not sure how many, 30 to 40. But it was enough people who were watching me react in real time to the death of my friend. And that was fucking bizarre. And uh, and then I said, oh, no. And I don't I don't recall what I said. But people were very kind in the chat room, and they said, "Look, if you need to stop this and go away, that's fine." And and uh, and I probably should have, you know. And, and look, let me say this: I'm gonna, well, I, I'll get into this in a, in a minute. I probably should have just because it was um, just to just to educate myself. But also, um, if he's gone, he's gone. I mean, there's nothing I can do. And also, I should say again, Brody, you know, not my best friend. Uh, my friend, a guy I knew, a guy I genuinely enjoyed, a guy I would see all the time because he lived in my neighborhood. Uh, it's so weird to have a comedian that I saw more outside of comedy and clubs than, than to see him at, at work. You know, I'd, I saw him at Starbucks all the time because he went to the Starbucks at Laurel Canyon and Riverside, which is near my house. Um, it, when, and when I say when I saw him there, I never, you know, I didn't go in there. I, I wasn't a coffee drinker, but I would drive by and I'd see him sitting out there. And every time I did, I would roll the window down and I would just go, enjoy it. And he would just look up and he'd go, Schmidt. Um, or he'd say, third base, Phillies. He would he would just say something dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, focus, Schmidt, traffic. And I mean he would he would say something crazy. Positive put he would just do his thing that he does. Um or I'd see him at my Gelson's. That's that's my favorite thing, is that there, you know, Gelson's is right across the street. So I that Gelson's I would see him in because I'd go get there, get a sandwich in the deli or whatever. 
And uh, you'd be walking through, and he'd just be like, potato chip aisle, Mike Schmidt, headlining. <laughs> um, just, just silliness, because that's, that's who Brody was as a guy, outwardly. I mean, clearly inside, there was so much going on. And if you saw his Comedy Central show, or you saw the HBO show, you saw that he... he he was very naked about it. I mean, he, you know, he had the breakdown in 2011 and, uh, I, I used to make the joke because he, he, you know, he did, went off his meds and then he didn't sleep, I think for three days. And he just went on this manic tweet run. And I think it said to part of it at one point, I go, well, I know I, you know, I, now I, I knew Brody was really in trouble because he was tweeting from the wrong Starbucks because he was up at one on Ventura Boulevard near Coldwater Canyon. And I was like, this is not, this is not him. You know, something's amiss if he's at the wrong fucking Starbucks. Um, but I would see him, you know, he'd, he'd walk, he would get his steps in. As a matter of fact, the last Periscope he ever did, uh, he still used Periscope. What a fucking sweetheart. The last Periscope he ever did, you can find it online. I think someone tweeted it out and he was walking through my neighborhood, getting his steps in. Uh, the same route I would walk if I were to walk from my house if I wasn't so fat and lazy and I ever walked to my bank. He would, he, because my bank was right across the street from his fucking, his Starbucks. So he was obviously walking there. Um, but just, but just a genuine person and a good guy. And, uh, and so for me to see that and then to see it live in front of everybody, it was awkward and strange and it was awkward and strange for everybody. I mean, they were very kind and very nice, but you know, you're peeking in at, at what is essentially a private moment. And I could have handled it better. You know, I I was surprised. I was shocked. And I, I reacted the way I would have reacted if I was alone. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. Fuck, dude, you're on camera here. You know, you got you to fucking, what are you doing? And I could have signed off and I could have bailed. But instead I chose to tell some stories about Brody. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share... Um, you know, a couple, I'll show them. I, I don't, I think I told both of these on, on, on the air. Um, but Brody was, uh, he was a guy, he, here's, here's the thing. It was funny. Graham Elwood posted something on Instagram and it was, a, it was a tweet from, Oh, it was like, you know what it was? It was Joe Madden of the Chicago Cubs. Because if you don't know anything about Brody, again, he was a comedian, but also he was a baseball player. That was his whole deal. He played at Arizona state and he made friends with real baseball players, like guys who went on to coach in the majors uh, here's who Brody is. You know, Zelig, like he would go to spring training and he would hang out in the bullpen and he would hang out with the Cubs because he was genuinely friends with them. He wasn't, they didn't look at him like, who's this fucking annoying comedian? No, he was such a good guy. Um, an outwardly warm presence and a positive person that the Cubs liked having him around. There were guys who were his friends. And then there were other people who became his friends. I mean, he was friends with the whole team to the point where he actually rode in the 2016 world series championship parade. He was on a float. And, uh, and I love that he got to experience that. I can't imagine as an athlete who did not achieve all he wanted to athletically to be involved in something that was the pinnacle of his sport had to be beautiful. I never got to talk to him about it and I regret it. Um, because again, that's 2016 and that's how long it had been since I saw my friend. Cause I don't do clubs. I don't go out. Uh, I see him here. You know what I mean? I, 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 like I said, I would see him at Starbucks or I'd see him at Gelson's, but at that point you're just walking past one another, you know? And, and, and also Brody was, um, he wasn't exactly, he was very open about his, his situation on his shows, but it wasn't like you could look at him and have a long talk, you know, and just go, Hey, let's talk about you and your weird depression and what's going on. And are you okay? And you just don't think to ask those things. 
At least I didn't. And I didn't then. I will now. But also at the same time, is that is that about me or about them? Because if you do that thing where you reach out to somebody and you're like, hey, man, I, I, I hope you're okay. Are you okay? What's going on? Are you, are you depressed? Are you sad? I, you know, that, that person might just look at you and be and say, I, you know, what are you going to do for me? I got pills that are supposed to help me. What are you going to do? You know, because you always hear that thing, reach out to somebody, see something, say something. You reach out and, and if you see somebody who's not feeling good or you want to go ahead and try to be there for them. Well, I mean, sometimes people don't want you to be there for them. Sometimes people hide in their apartment. Sometimes people don't answer the door or the phone. Sometimes people go off their meds. And sometimes people do things that they shouldn't. Um, Brody, so, so Graham posted the video of the manager of the Cubs, Joe Madden, at his press conference talking about the camp. And then he said, oh, and our friend Brody. And then he, he talked about Brody for a good you know minute, minute and a half, talking about how it had devastated the team and they were, they were looking forward to him coming the next week and how upset they were to lose him. And Graham posted that video. And, you, you know, you don't... I, again, I knew Brody. I saw him at the grocery store. And I saw him in clubs. And I saw him crush in fucking clubs. Um, but to see him spoken of on a national scale like that uh in such glowing terms by somebody who wasn't really in his industry it's it's it was it was amazing and it made me feel great but oh my god also tremendously sad so sad over the weekend i was so i don't i couldn't figure out what was going on i i kept crying and uh when i would think of him or i would watch a clip of him or i would see something and it has to do with other things i'll talk about here on the show but because again a weird just a weird five fucking days a weird weekend but um but but I couldn't shake the feeling of this being such a loss this being uh, you know Bro- Brody he was beloved and that's what I wrote on on Graham's post I just said Jesus can you think of anyone at all in in our industry in comedy who was more universally loved than Brody Stevens I can't because there were people who will, you know, I mean, and look, there are people who are admired and there are people who are respected. Um, and there's certainly big names who are very successful, but you'll always find caddy people. You always find backstabbers. You always find somebody who has something bad to say. I mean, it's, you know, it's a caddy industry, fucking entertainment. We're all scrambling in one big fucking crab pile trying to get to the top and bitterness can creep in. If you don't get the thing that you wanted, I was jealous of Brody. I, I was, um, I recognize that has to do with me. That's my problem. Nothing Brody did. Um, you know, he worked hard. I mean, and when I say worked hard, I mean, that's all he did. If, you know, and I think, you know, and now seeing what has happened, you know, he did his whole thing was based on positive push and positive energy and pushing forward. I think a lot of that he did also for himself to make sure that he focused on staying alive. It wasn't a bit. That's that's the most amazing thing. You know, you saw Brody. Yes, positive push, energy. I'm a warm-up, 818 till I die. He, uh, that wasn't a bit. That's who he was. I mean, like I said, you saw him at Gelson's, you saw him at Starbucks, or you saw him in a fucking club, or you saw him in a bullpen with his friends or on a parade float. That's who fucking Brody Stevens was. And there's so much phony in what we do. 
and there's so much of a front you have to put up so you don't offend somebody who might be famous someday and could be in a position to give you a job. There's a lot of that, man. And, you know, it's just like anybody's job where you got to be nice to the boss. You got to be nice to anyone because eventually they could be the boss. You know, all that, all that stuff is creeping around. And in comedy, it's even worse because, I mean, you can get fucking whacked out of something really quick. You know, Brody had a, he had a period a couple of years ago where he was in a real... He was having a real problem with these festival organizers because he would go, he toured with Chappelle. The guy did stadiums with fucking Chappelle and, and Burr and those guys. And then he wasn't getting paid and he, he, he was the squeaky wheel. He went on Twitter and he, he talked about it, how they didn't pay him and they didn't give him any money. And I can remember thinking at the time, Jesus, Brody, this is fucking, you got to watch it, man. What are you doing here? But then in my brain, I'm like, well, fuck, he's more successful than you are. So maybe he knows what the fuck he's doing, man. <laughs> and I couldn't reach out. I didn't know him that well to go, hey, man, you should throttle it down. I'm sure he had friends to do that because he's friends with Zach and Sarah and everybody else. I mean, Zach was his best friend in comedy. Um, but when I saw that post from Graham, I said, "Do you, can you think of anyone who is more universally beloved in what we do? Because again, even, even, you know, I, I, any name you could think of someone's jealous or catty or thinks they're a hack or they did these, you know, everybody, it's an industry born on the sharp knives wielded by the people who participate in it. And nobody had the knives out for Brody. He was he was and he was beloved at the store, just like he was beloved at the improv, just like he was, he was beloved at the UCB. He was a fucking tornado. He um. He did one of the best sets I've ever seen in my life. One of the, one of the five best sets got to be in in the history I've ever seen. It reminded me. Um, you know, I used to tour with Jimmy all the time and on the nights when Jimmy had it, Jimmy fucking had it, had it. I should say he was always great. Jimmy's always been great. Jimmy never mailed anything in Pardo, but he, um, he had some nights where you're like, this is, this is a fucking home run. I mean, this is ridiculous how good it is. And I got to see Brody do a, do a set like that one time. Um, you know, he was he was a warm up who did a bunch of warm ups for TV shows. You know, tying him in with Pardo, I, I, you know, I went to Jimmy Pardo's taping one time. Jimmy did a pilot, and uh, you know, Christian Finnegan was on it. Pete Holmes. There were a lot of big names because that's how they put together a pilot. They try to get the best comedians, the best names, the biggest names they possibly can. And uh, and I was nursing some bruises over not being asked to participate. You know, I was I you know, um. Because, you know, I, I, <laughs> I did a thing where like, I always wanted to kind of be in any Jimmy project and it kind of, it caused problems actually, you know, he, he would get something going on and in my mind. I'd be like, is there a spot for me here? Is a spot for me here? And it's like, now that I look back on it, I go, man, that was fucking greedy and wrong. And I probably came off like a real stiff prick trying to get myself into a fucking shoehorned project that he had for himself. And then what am I going to get myself a writing gig or a this gig? I, I, yeah, whatever. But that night I was there, I was in the audience to support. You know, it wasn't it wasn't about that. I was there to have a good time and support my friend and uh, and Brody to the warm up. Because, again, when you're doing a pilot, you want it to be the best it possibly can. So they went and got Brody, who was the best warm up guy in the fucking world, because that's a hard, thankless gig. And his relentless positivity always made it look fucking easy. So he. Uh, he's doing warm up. He's hanging out all that. So finally, the taping ends. And there's this weird thing after like any comedy show at least and, and look I, when i say it's weird i'm speaking solely from my perspective other comedians may not feel this 
But when you haven't been involved in a successful show and you're floating around the periphery of it, you want to kind of hang out with the, all the comics and, but they're all getting their shine. You know, they're all, they're all getting the rub from having done a great show. When we did Jimmy's one man show, it was me and Pat and Jimmy. And, uh, and when it ended, we're all kind of hanging around, we're greeting everybody and talking and there's a room full of other comedians. And, uh, and I know when I was one of those other comedians, I would always be, I would always be weird. Like I didn't want to approach the guys in the show because I didn't want to look like I was stepping on their thing, but you had to tell them they did a good job and, but you had to turn away and you had to walk, you know, you didn't want to hog their time, even though you're, they're your great friends at the same time, this is their moment. You don't want to fucking intrude on it. But there's also that thing where you're like, Hey, I'm funny. I'm, I can hang. I know these guys. And, and at least that's what I have inside of me. So, uh, that show ended the pilot taping and there was the thing where everybody's milling about on stage and it's, you know, Jimmy and his agent just are, they're talking and, uh, I believe Pat was there with me and I, I, Karen was with me too. There's my ex, my ex-wife, Karen and Brody and, and Christian Finnegan, like I said, Pete Holmes. And I, I forget there were other, there were a couple of other real names and, uh, and they're all on the stage talking and I'm, I'm not on the stage, but I'm lurking. And, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to my friend Jimmy and, and tell him good job, but he's getting glad handed by everybody. But also I'd like to come up and schmooze a little bit. Like I'm a comedian because there's that thing inside you where everything's a green room. You want to bust balls. You want to have fun. You want to trade. And also there's a look at me involved in what I did. Uh, I wanted to meet Christian Finnegan and Pete Holmes. I had met Pete Holmes once before and he was, it was, it had, uh, it's not that it didn't go well. It didn't go. Uh, he and Chelsea Peretti had a conversation in a green room when I was standing there and they acted like, I mean, like literally I was invisible. The two of them were, they had inside jokes and they were going back and forth. And you know, Pete was sitting on the couch next to me. She was sitting on the couch across from him and I was there and I was not in the loop at all. <laughs> I wanted to be, I wanted to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm on the same show. I'm funny. I mean, I can probably trade with you guys and have some fun. Let's go back and forth. But they were, they had such a, a shorthand and they were such good friends already. There was no way I could just burst into the conversation. And I would have liked to have been included, but I wasn't. So then seeing him there at the taping, I thought, oh boy, it's going to be the same kind of thing. And I don't know Finnegan at all, you know, and these are funny dudes. And I was lurking and uh, Brody saw me and he just goes, Mike Schmidt. And, uh, and I'm like, and I just pointed at him and he, and he comes over to me and he goes, come on. And he goes, what are you doing over here? And he, he brings me up on the stage. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't talk to Holmes. He had walked away, but I talked to Finnegan a little bit and then, uh, you know, wound up getting to Jimmy and, but, but, but I was included. The fourth wall had been broken because Brody had come over to grab me and bring me up on stage, essentially saying, Hey, you belong up here too. Even though I wasn't in the show, he could see that I was kind of lurking and he was and he, he took that step rather than. <laughs> rather than just, you know, saying my name or what he came and got me, he brought me up on the stage and, and it was look, he probably didn't think anything about it. But for me, I was like, that was a really fucking cool thing to do because I was, uh, you know, I will admit I was jealous and I didn't know what to do. And I was a little weird and I didn't want to just insinuate myself. And, um, and, and that's, he didn't think twice about it. That's who he was. When I say I saw, I saw him get to do one of the, the most amazing sets I've ever seen, he, uh, there was a show that Matt Belknap used to book at, uh, it was called See You Next Tuesday. It was on, because Comedy Death Ray was the, the show. For a while, Comedy Death Ray was the comedy show in town, and it was the early Tuesday show at the UCB. 
And then after it, Belknap would do another stand-up show called See You Next Tuesday. See You Next Tuesday is the show where I, I performed with Robin Williams. He did a drop-in, and he asked Matt if he could go up, and Matt said, yeah, and Jeselnik was the fucking MC, and Jeselnik did me a solid again um, by letting me take out Robin Williams because I, I had to follow Robin Williams. So uh, Jeselnik... In between Robin Williams and me, he was the MC, and he could have done he could have done five minutes on Robin Williams. But I had asked him backstage if he would mind if I did it, and he said cool, and he let me do it. And so I got to make fun of Robin Williams. I got to get that shine. I got to get that heat, and uh, and that was a great thing that Jeslin did for me. And you know, it's, as I say these things out loud, I wonder more and more why I'm not back doing the thing that I love. You know, Brody did a good thing for me, and Jeslin did a good thing for me. These are people who reached out and and helped me. Um, and these are small gestures, certainly, but but they meant everything to me at the time. So I was at See You Next Tuesday, and I can't remember if I was performing or I just hung out after Death Ray. I might have done Death Ray and hung out for Matt's show. Um, but regardless, Brody was closing See You Next Tuesday, and I wanted to watch. So, you know, it was a great show. It's the UCB, of course, and everybody's doing great. And then they bring out Brody to close it, and Brody walks on stage well, first they, they start playing a song. There's a song I didn't I had no idea what it was. But it's just a guitar riff. This chimey guitar riff. Almost sounds like U2. And uh and it's but it's real bright. You know what I mean? It's not sinister, it's just a bright and uh Brody walks on stage and he just walks walks, paces. He he literally walks out on stage and people clapping or whatever and they sit down and the whole song is playing ding ding. And uh he walks around the stage. He, clearly, he has told them to play this song. You know, it wasn't because everybody else got theme music, but he's letting this music go. And he walks around, and finally, he sits down. And uh, there's a part in the song where the drums kick in, and Brody just starts to drum along with the song. And this was the thing Brody used to do. He'd bring drumsticks everywhere, and he would on stage he would do this drumming thing. And I remember I used to think to myself, I'd be like, this is the goofiest fucking thing. Like, why is this even a thing? But then you watch him do it and you'd be like, oh, that's why, because it's fucking awesome. And so when you watched him do it, because sometimes I thought it was stupid. I mean, like, I'm not going to lie to you. I'd see Brody. I, there were some nights I didn't get it. I'd just be like, all right, I don't, you're just, just banging your head into a fucking wall here. But then the nights where it, where it fucking worked, and more often than not, it fucking worked. The nights where it worked, I, and, but I would still not understand how a guy could just yell out his area code and get laughs. Or a guy could just just fucking yell out stuff about being a model in Pakistan, right? You know, uh, he would ask people's name. You, you got your arms crossed. Enjoy it. You loosen up. You know, all this. I mean, just silliness. But it would always, it would work. It would fucking work. And I remember being puzzled by it. And almost, and like I said, when I say jealous, I mean just like I'm like, how can he get laughs doing that? Like I would, you know, I would kill to just be able to walk out and get laughs being that person, being just saying anything. Um, and as I've grown as a performer over, over the years, I can, I can see it was because there was sincerity in what he did. You know, that again, like I said, it wasn't a bit, that's who he was. And so he would just fucking barrel through doing it. And eventually he was going to wear you down. He was going to crush that fucking room and he did it. He just did it. So he sat down and he drummed. And again, it was that dumb thing where I was like, I don't know why this is working, but for that, for me that night, it was working. And he let the whole song play. The whole fucking song. And then he got up and he did that the, the whole bit again with the where are you from? Who are you? What's your name? Where'd you go to high school? And he would say what, the name of somebody who went to your high school like an athlete. And and I know it sounds silly. 
And the sum of its parts all broken down sounds ridiculous, but when you put it together and coming out of his mouth and his the way he carried himself, I mean, he fucking destroyed. I sat there transfixed. I couldn't believe it. I texted Jimmy when I left. It was fucking, it was like midnight because he, he did over a half hour. He might have done 35 minutes or something. And uh, and I texted Jimmy. I, I, I just watched Brody fucking destroy this place. Um, b- because it was it was crazy how good it was. It was astonishing because again, people. All right, <laughs> this will sound bad. Civilians fall for that kind of thing. Civilians can see a guy yelling his area code and just being a silly, goofy character, and they they might not know how to interpret it, but they'll laugh just whatever. Brody used to have a great line where he'd say something, and he and then if it didn't get a laugh, he'd repeat it, and he'd go, "I should get a laugh on Cadence alone." And he wasn't wrong because the way he was delivering things, you know, it's just, it's whenever he says the hard K sound or if you do a sing-songy delivery, like there's tricks, but he, he, he would crush it. So when civilians would fall for it in my brain, I would just be like, well, of course they did because this is, you know, this is a trick, but comedians, ah, we're cynical. We're a cynical lot. And we, we see this. I know what you're trying to do there. Oh, I see what you're doing. Okay. I see the angle. I see what you're doing here, what you're working, but but Brody had a way of superseding that, you know, whether, whether I questioned it or not, I also had to admit that coming out of him, it was, it, it wasn't forced. It wasn't something he created. He was just being himself at an amplified level. There's a way like in pro wrestling, they say the guys who cut the best promos are just being themselves amplified. That's why Stone Cold Steve Austin caught on when they brought him in. They tried to make him like the fucking ringmaster in, in some places and they gave him a personality, all these weird, dumb fucking things. But when he just got to be Texas asshole and got to talk a bunch of shit, that's when he fucking went through the roof. That's when fans identified with him because they believed him. And people believed Brody. And you were right to believe in Stone Cold because he was living his gimmick just louder than he normally lived his life. But that's who he was. He was a the Texas rattlesnake. The just a just a fucking shit kicker from fucking Texas who could beat your ass and talk shit. That's who he was. And he just put it on fucking blast. Well that's who Brody was. I heard I heard a description of him. Someone said that he was like a uh, a jock doing performance art. And that's that's a really good way to describe it. Because he was a jock through and through. I mean, he would even on stage he would do bat, he'd do batting stances and make you guess who he was doing. He'd run through a bullpen on stage. He'd show you, you know, yeah, <laughs> leg kick important. Shift the weight. Lean forward. Wait for the sign. I mean, just and you're like, why is this working? I don't know why this is working, but it was fucking working. It was working because of him, because sheer force of, of will, because his personality was just that big and it was genuine. That's, I think that's more than anything. He was an original. He was genuine. Cause look, a lot of guys worked the crowd. A lot of guys, you know, uh, have a character that they do. He was just Brody and he was that way off stage. Like he was on stage. Uh, you know, I, I, one time I was working on, on the lot for, um, Starface and he was there doing warm up on a show. And I just, I, I mean, he saw me from across the lot. He was sitting on a banister. I'm just, and I didn't even see him. I'm just walking. I just hear Schmidt. And, uh, I look at him and he goes, uh, successful on the lot to comedians. <laughs> uh, just, just, just magic. Just, just silliness. And he was, like I said, he was like it all the time. He was that guy. And so Friday, 
when I opened my phone and I saw his name and I, in my brain, I, I just, I hoped like maybe he just got a really big deal. Like maybe he just, or he won the lottery, what, something good, please. But I knew. And when I clicked on his name, I just gasped. And then I, I told stories to people to watch. I, I, I found, out, found out live on Twitch that my friend had hanged himself. And then I eulogized him um, because I had to. I, I, I couldn't, you know, I wasn't going to run and hide from it. But that's who he was as a guy. He was a monster. He was a genuine person. And I'm sorry that he was in so much pain all the time. You wish there's something you could do for somebody who's in pain, let alone in pain all the time. You know, he would he would put up Instagram stories or Twitter from his mom's house. And Daisy the dog, and you know he would talk about his sister, and and I would I remember you know because again I didn't know him well, but I knew him, and he was always kind to me, and he he was Brody. It wasn't even that he was kind to me; he was just Brody. He was kind to everybody. But I can remember looking at his social media and seeing he was you know he he didn't have a girlfriend or he didn't get married or he didn't I don't know if he dated much. He certainly didn't. He kept it close to the vest. It was him and his mom and his sister and his demons. And I really wish his mom and sister had won. But you you can hope for anything in the world and it's just not going to happen. I mean, I, I, it's too strong. It's too fucking strong. Depression is a monster. You know, I, I, I've toyed with the idea of thinking that I might have a low level version of it because I read people want to sleep all the time or they don't leave their apartment. They don't do all these things that I'm like, well, that's my life's gotten pretty small. That's kind of what I do. I don't go to clubs. I don't do those things. Um, but then I, I'm angry at myself for even thinking that I might have something that would be comparable to the force that made my friend take his own life. You know, I'm, I'm whatever. It's not about me. It's about him. And uh, I will tell you right now, if you've not seen the Comedy Central show, find it, find the episodes. Because not only is there a lot of funny, but there's a lot of poignance. As he, you know, there's there's a great shot where he, you know, he's finally back on his meds and he's with his mom and his sister and he's wearing, he's got a bow tie on. He just looks, he looks beautiful. I mean, he just really looks regal and good. I mean, he just was that guy. Carried himself. Like like a like an athlete. Always. And you see him talking about his you know, basically talking about his demons. There's there's shots of him in his room and he's like, I I don't know why I live here. And I've heard some things, you know, after the fact about why this might have happened and you know, he had gone off his meds for reasons and I you know, I've talked to some people and I, I don't you know it doesn't matter. It's like when Prince died, you know. I told you my friend David was, Max was like, uh, who cares? He's dead. Doesn't matter. And he's right. I don't, I don't give a fuck if it's fentanyl or a noose or you fell down a flight of fucking stairs. Doesn't matter. You're gone. And it's terrible. It's just fucking awful. And certainly there were people who he meant more to and there were people who were close to him and there were people who loved him and saw him every night. I mean, the guy closed the fucking comedy store every weekend. Uh, Friday, Saturday, he'd be the closing act in the main room name on the fucking marquee and people would wait to see him and they'd meet him and they'd talk to him and he'd become friends with them. And he just, he was a guy, he was the guy who, who 
who lit up and touched all of the lives around him. But the light inside him was dead. And it finally got put out on Friday. And it's terrible, and it's awful, and it's a tragedy. Because, you know, I talked a lot on the sh- a lot about it on the show that you should spread joy. You should just be happy and be kind to people. Uh, you know, I said, I said on the, the show, I said this, I've said it on here and I said it on the Twitch thing. I said, this world is a fucking wood chipper. If you've got a chance to give somebody a hand up when they're down, you do it. And that's the kind of guy Brody Stevens was. Um, he couldn't take anybody else's hand to let himself get pulled up. And that's, you know, that's a trick of the mind. That's a disease. Depression will fuck with you in ways that you can't even fucking think about. You know, I've read more and more about it over the past five years, six years, just to try to learn. You know, like I said, even if I have a a, a fucking pictogram of it, uh, I I just want to understand it. Um, but one thing I will never understand is what happened with with Brody. I don't I don't understand how you could be so. What trick of the mind can lead you think that you want to think that you want to go away, that you don't want to be here anymore? But also, I don't face that kind of tremendous sadness. I don't see that kind of bleak um, future. I don't. I don't think terrible things. There's always a reason for me to get up in the morning. There's always a reason for me to move forward and do stuff, whether it's a book I haven't read, or it's a song I want to hear, or a show I want to do for you guys, or or an email I want to answer. I, I, well, hold on. Let's take that one off the list right now. There's never an email I want to answer, but my point is I, I always have a goal, whether I'm going to the gym with John or I'm, I'm, you know, even if it's something as simple as I'm going to eat somewhere later that I like, um, which unfortunately rules my life a lot more than it should. But I don't understand the idea of leaving this world. I don't, I also don't think it's selfish and I don't think any of those things. I think, it's a terrible tragedy that someone feels that they have to kill themselves, but if they're in that much pain, I can't be the one to tell them that they can't do the things they need to do to fix that. It's selfish for me to think that my friend is gone and to wish he was still here when in reality, when he was here, he didn't like it here. He tried. He did everything he could, but his mind got the better of him and took him out. And that's a fucking shame. And it's a loss for comedy and it's a loss for the world because he was kind to people at Starbucks and Gelson's as well. He was kind to people in neighborhoods and he was just a nice, powerful, positive presence. And I'm going to miss him. And I think the whole world is on some level. Certainly every comedian I've known is going to miss him because Jesus fucking Christ, I have never seen the kind of outpouring. I mean, we're talking, it's a week, it's a week now. It's just about a week. And there are people who still, you know, social media, they can't, you know, they're now it's, you know, it struck them down where they're not going out and they're sad and they're crying. And it's just a chain reaction because if you can see it happen to him, maybe in, you've got that in living inside you, you think to yourself, well, what if that could happen to me? I, it's just, I don't understand any of that, but I know that his, his, being gone is a tremendous loss for comedy and it's a tremendous loss for his friends and anyone who ever met him, honestly, because he was a good person. And uh, and though he wasn't my best friend and... But, but, but you know what, fuck that. It doesn't need a qualifier. Yeah, we weren't best friends. I didn't see him all the time. But when I saw him, I might as well have been his best friend. 
And that's one of the reasons why it's it's so terrible to lose him because he made you feel special in the moment. He made you feel like he was happy to see you. He made you feel like you mattered. And it wasn't a bit. And I, I wonder if he did that and, and overcompensated making people feel happy and comfortable because he could never find that feeling in his own skin. I don't know, man. I'm not fucking armchair, dime store fucking psychologist. All I am is a grieving friend. And and I I hope he has found peace. And that happened Friday. And uh, I finished the stream. You know, when I, I, you know, I talked to people and I got through it and I, and I, I ended the stream kind of early because it, it was fucking weird, man. I won't lie. And, and everybody was very kind again. Like I said, they go, Hey man, you can go. And I go, no, you know, you got to fly back into the face of normalcy and make it work. And then, uh, I don't check the phone, you know, cause I, I mean, what's it going to say? Came back from the grave. I mean, what the fuck? There's no news. My, my, he's gone. Brody's gone. So I played games which seems trivial trivial and weird, but that's what my life is to a certain extent these days. So I just dove right back in. And I played uh, God of War, more of that. And I only played for like four hours, three and a half, I think. I just, and then finally, I wasn't having fun. My brain was somewhere else. And, uh, and people were very, you know, I didn't, I didn't use that as an excuse. I said, okay, we're done. Because I mean, look, it was still three and a half hours. I mean, I'm, st- I'm still there doing three and a half hours worth of bullshit. Um, and people were, again, very kind. They hung out. We participated and it was great. And then, uh, you know, people were, said they were sorry about my friend. And I understood that. And that was very cool. So I left and um, I went on social media, you know, because I had to kind of find out what was going on. And I went on Facebook. And I saw a post on Friday from a friend of mine who I actually, I spoke about on last week's show. And you know, you know her, I've talked about her on here many times, my friend Maki. And I, I told you I do Maki Mondays, you know, and I think I actually referenced her last week because I talked about her big fucking couch that I could not stop falling asleep in. Like I just, I would, I would go to her house on Maki Monday and we'd put in a movie or whatever, or we'd just be talking. And then she'd have to take a phone call and I would fall asleep instantly. I, I just, because her couch was so comfortable and I was always so fucking tired with my sleep schedule. Um, but then one of her cats would come over because all of her cats had claws and it would claw my leg and I'd wake up. <laughs> I went online and I saw my friend Maki from Maki Mondays and she posted, um, I'm going into hospice. Uh, please include me in your thoughts and prayers and, and then some other note. And I, I, you know, I was already reeling. Uh, and I saw, I saw this on Friday and I, I just, so I wrote her immediately. I, I texted her and just said, Jesus, Maki, I just, I just saw your post. What can I do? Um, cause, cause let me tell you this, my friend Maki, you know, she's, um, she's been dealing with this for a long time. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you my history with Maki. You know, she, she's my friend and has been my friend and been a listener, started as a listener. 
and uh, and then started to write me. She wrote me in like 2009, 2010, and we exchanged notes on social media back and forth. And she was always very kind, you know. And she liked the show, and whenever I would say something, she would pop in and she would give me advice on something. Or if I had a poll, you know, like when I talked about you know, <laughs> John Cougar tickets with my wife, and she would always write me and go, "You should do this," or "Here's my vote." And, uh, and, you know, you're so funny and she was always very complimentary and nice to me. And I would write her back. And honestly, you know, I went back and looked at the history of our correspondence this weekend and, and it's a little embarrassing because, you know, I, I try to reach out and write everybody, but also sometimes it can sound like a form letter and I don't mean it to do that. But sometimes when you have to answer 20 emails in a day, you can wind up saying the same thing and, and, uh, you know, but that was early in our correspondence. You know, I saw that and, uh. You know, here here was a funny thing. She wrote me in, I think it was February of 2013. And, uh, you know, she wrote about the show and how it made her laugh and some things. And I didn't get to answer that note. And then two weeks later uh, was was a show called um, Almost, which is when my, my wife wound up leaving me. And I did that show. And she wrote me a note that week and said, hey, look, you know, I'm I'm... I'm devastated. I'm crying here with you. I, I hope you're okay. And, and very nice reached out. And then I wrote her back and we started to have a kind of a steady correspondence back and forth. And, and then we lost track because again, she's got family, she's got friends and all that stuff. And I did too. And, and then I, you know, I started dating somebody else. And, uh, and then when I was dating, uh, my ex, she wound up having a, a cancer scare on her face where she was going to have to go in and get a biopsy done on a, on a, you know, she had already had it once and she was going to go in and get a biopsy done to see if they could, if they had something else they had to take care of. Well, I talked about it on the show and then, um, Maki wrote me, you know, I hadn't heard from her in a while and she said, Hey, listen, uh, I understand exactly what, what Jill is going through. Um, I'm currently dealing with stage four cancer. And I've been going in for hardcore chemo and I'm, you know, I'm trying to do the best I can to balance my life and make it work. But I understand if she wants, if she ever wants to talk to somebody about it, if she ever has a question or she wants to go ahead and, you know, I can give her an advice and, and what to do. And I mean, just hearing that she had been afflicted in such a way, I mean, stage four, that's not where I mean, look, man, we're not fucking around at that point. And this is in 2016. So, uh, so I wrote her right away and I said, Jesus, you know, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. This circumstance is terrible. And I, I wrote her a long note and she wrote me another long note back. And, and then I said, listen, if, if you, if you ever need anything, I, I would, you know, I'm here, whatever you want me to do, because it was around that time when also I was starting to foment this idea of being, you should be nice to people. You should reach out to people. You should do, if you, if you can take care of someone or be nice to them, you should do that. Um, because, you know, I, I had started to see Shannon. I was learning more about myself and, uh, and also, you know, my personal life might've been crumbling around me, but I was trying to become a different, better person. So, uh, Maki wrote me and she said, well, you know, the, thank you for the, the thing. The only thing I could really think of, cause she, I should say she referenced this in her note when she said she had cancer, that she listened to me through her chemo. She would save my shows for her chemo sessions and she would listen during chemo so she could laugh through it. And, uh, and it was that really that made me reach out because I, that's, I mean, that's just a goddamn honor to know that 
when someone was at their lowest, they made sure you were there with them so they didn't get too low. That you were used to carry them through the most difficult moments in their life, that when they thought of going through those without you, it seemed unbearable, so they had to wait and save your show, save your voice for the most difficult moments in their lives so they could get through it, so they could make sense of it. And I thought that was powerful. So that's when I offered. I said, if you need anything, you want anything, I'm here. You let me know. And then she said, the only thing I could think of would be if you were to come and sit with me during chemo. But I know you could never do that because you're an hour away from me and it would just seem ridiculous. Uh, so, you know, just keep doing the show and being funny. And then I wrote her back and I said, it's not ridiculous. And you tell me when. I will be there. Um, and the funny thing is, I talked about it on this show. And I talked about, I compared her. <laughs> I compared her to Chloe, the, the woman in Fight Club who was dying of cancer and just wanted to get fucked one last time. And I said that was what Maki was. Cause, cause I'm a great fucking guy, right? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm certainly the best person in the world. When I, when I, I can, I talk about someone and I'm like, oh yeah, it's amazing that she would use me for this. And I go, but then part of me thinks that she's like Chloe in Fight Club. And what's going to happen? At the time I was with Lily and Lily's just like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? But, uh, you know, there's never, there's never a thought that crosses through my skull that doesn't come flying out of my fucking pie hole right into this goddamn microphone phone for you guys to consume. Uh, and it made me laugh. So I said it. And, uh, and then she, she said that she thought it was really funny. She's like, you know, your, your words of tribute made me cry, but then you made me laugh with that comparison. And that was very nice. And she said, you know, if you wanted to come and join me for chemo and I said, you name it, you fucking name it, man, I'm there. And that's how Monday with Maki, Maki Mondays was born. So once a month, uh, when she was going through chemo, I, you know, I went, I only went to a couple like of the chemo sessions because they were spaced out in weird ways. And she said, she even said, I don't want you to come to this one. Like she would, cause I told her, I said, when you need me, you let me know I'm there. There's not even like, nothing will keep me from you. Uh, I will come and I will hang out. So the first time I went up, it wasn't even for chemo. I just went and hung out with her at her house and I met her nephew and her brother. And I met her boyfriend, Armando, who's just a, just a good man. And, uh, and you have to be to come home and see this, who's this weird fucking dude in my house. You know what I mean? It just, uh, it's it to me, if I was a kid, uh, and, and I came home and Steve Dahl was in my house hanging out with Lenny. Yeah. It's that, you know, some guy from the radio who we fucking listen to all the time. It's just, uh, you know, it's a different era. It's a weird thing. And, but Armando was just a gentle and kind man who completely understood. And I met him and I got along with him really great. And uh, like I said, I met her brother and her nephew. And, and he was just this precocious kid. And he was climbing all over the place. She had like five cats. And he'd come bounding into the house after school. Because I'd get there around like you know noon or one in the afternoon. And we'd go, we'd go have lunch. We'd go to a pizza place that she liked. Or there was a deli. I said, you know, you tell me where. It's your town. So wherever you, you want to go, we go. So there was an Italian deli and we'd sit in the sun. Cause she wanted to be outside. And I mean, it was fucking hot because she lived north of me about an hour or so or whatever. And, and, uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, it, you know, it's basically on the fucking sun, but I didn't care. You know, I just, I, I needed it too. I don't get out enough. So Maki Mondays, I would show up and, uh, and we'd either watch a movie or we'd just talk. 
we just go in the backyard and fucking talk because that's what I do. And she'd talk to me and I, I learned about her history and, um, you know, we'd talk about our personal lives and she was, she'd been with Armando for eight years and she loved him so much. And, uh, and then she hated that she was sick and she felt that she was a burden to him and to others. And she was a burden to herself and she wanted to get back to work. And that was always a struggle. And that it's so funny because I would think to myself, you know what? I, I, I never want to go back to work. I never want to get to work. I never, that's never on my agenda. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I hope I can get back to work. And that was her number one goal because she loved her job. She worked in a, as a, uh, I don't want to get too much into this, but I, you know, she worked in a, in a field where she, you know, she was very, uh, in a, an incredibly intelligent woman and, and had a really good job. And, you know, her insurance was a killer. Her, her, you know, she got the kind the cancer in, in 2000, I think 15. And we talked in 2016 when she was going through it, she had already amassed a million dollars in medical bills, a million dollars just to stay alive. And that, that is a fucking tragedy. But, uh, you know, luckily she had a ton of insurance and her job paid for it and took care of it, but she was still, you know, it had a five-figure hospital bill, still trying to pay her co-pays and things like that. We would talk about that. And and I so I went up there on that first Monday and I hung out. Like I said, we went to the deli. We just sat in the sun. We went to her house. We sat in the yard. Then we went in and sat on that gigantic fucking couch. And uh, and it was it was just a friendship. And, and it became a routine thing. Mondays, you know, I would, I'd pick, I'd text her, I go, what, what Monday works this month? And I would go to her place and, and we'd go eat lunch and then we'd hang out for like four or five hours. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be five, six hours, whatever I'd leave. I'd get there at like one, I'd leave around seven or eight. Sometimes Armando would get home and he'd bring dinner home and we'd have dinner as well. And, and it was just a friendship. She was just a lovely woman who was going through a terrible circumstance. And I, I just wanted to be part of it. I would go up for chemo and, uh, I only went up like a couple times for that. And she would, she even said, you know, it's so sporadic. And also they put her on really powerful chemo because this thing would come back with a vengeance. Like she would fight it off and would be in remission. She'd be fine and eh, not fine, but she'd be fighting it off and she'd be good. And then she'd start to get her hope up that she was going to get back to work and she was going to start doing those things and getting her life back. That's all she wanted. You know, she's, she's 50 years old. She's my age. All she wanted was her life back. Literally, like I said, the normalcy of going to work. I would imagine the normalcy of just waking up in the morning and being able to take a fucking shower and not have your skin feel like it was being pierced by goddamn spikes and needles and your whole neural system alive with fire because they're putting poison in your veins to keep you alive. They're killing you to keep you alive. But it's a necessary evil. And she lived for her cats and she lived for her nephew uh, who she couldn't wait, you know, she would read to him. He'd bound in and she'd give him an iPad and they'd draw and they'd play games. And I'd look at the games and we'd all jump in for this, you know, mazes. I would just, it was just, she was doing everything she could to experience every moment of her life. And we talked and it was frustrating for her because she just couldn't completely be well. So, I would go for Maki Mondays and we'd, you know, she'd make me watch Guardians. She made me watch Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, which I hadn't seen and I had no interest in seeing it, but she showed me and now I was like, Jesus Christ, that was really good. You win, you know. 
And we would talk about, you know, her past relationships. We'd talk about her relationship with Armando and how she was so happy that he had come along. And, you know, we'd talk about my relationships. We'd go back and forth and just, and, and we started to fill each other in on every aspect of our lives because it was just the normal she, she needed. She didn't need to be pitied. She didn't need to be told, you know, that's, I think that's one of the reasons she chased me away from the chemo is, you know, I went a couple times and it wiped her out. You know, I'd take her home and, and she'd be wiped out and she would genuinely apologize. And I would say, you don't, you don't have to apologize. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm so weak. I can't do anything. I can't stand up. And I know this is boring for you. And I, I just, that I go, look, it was just like the same thing when she said, Hey man, I know it's just dumb, a dumb idea that you'd come an hour. No, fuck that. I'm there. I'm here. And she'd apologize for the chemo. And I'd say, you don't have to. I know what you're going through. That's why I'm here. I came to do this. I want to help. I want to be a part of this. And was there probably some guilt on my end trying to make up for the fact that I wasn't there for my wife's chemo all the time? Yeah. I won't lie. Did I look at it as a way to right some past wrongs? Certainly. But overall, I just wanted to help a new friend. So I would go spend time with her. She chased me away from the chemo. You know, again, she thought that was a good idea. But then after two of them, she was like, nah, this is because she spent most of the time apologizing, feeling weird. So I would just go up for Maki Mondays. We'd, we'd get some lunch. We'd hang out. We'd talk. And, and, and that was the best part of it. She could talk just like I can. She would talk forever. She had stories and, uh, you know, stories of costume parties or, the, you know, all these, anything that was normal to her. She was so happy to be normal, so happy. It wasn't like a reflection on a past life. It was just her standing at the starting line, waiting for it to get going again. You know, she never looked at it like, ah, my life is over and this is me taking trips down memory lane. She was like, this is what I love to do and I can't wait to get back to doing it. And I I would listen and then I would talk and then I would listen and then I would talk and I, I never would have any pity. I would never say, Oh, what do you need? Or I I didn't dote because she took pride in being able to get up and open the patio door. She took pride in being able to walk to the deli in the hundred degree weather. Cause I'd say, Hey, I can drive. No, no, that's fine. And she didn't realize, you know, I wanted to drive for me. I don't want to fucking walk in a hundred degree weather, but I did because I knew that she wanted to. And it was, it was her way to feel the sun on her skin. And it was a way to feel life to be alive. You know, even if, even if you're sitting there sweating, you're still alive. It's, it's proving to you that you did something. You know, I'm sure there was accomplishment for her in walking to the deli in, in walking, you know, round trip a mile and a half or whatever, three quarters of a mile one way. And, and, and she was, she wanted to do that because it meant that she was alive. And, uh, I indulged it because I did not want to do it. I wanted to fucking drive because I'm fat and lazy. Um, but I would go spend Maki Mondays. And uh, like I said, this started in 2016. And I mean, I would hear, you know, I'd see her, her social media. It's not like we talked all the time. I mean, I'd stay in contact with her and say, Hey, what are we doing this month or how are we working it? But you know, I, I didn't insinuate myself into her life all the time because again, she had Armando, she had her family her her parents. I met them. They were beautiful people. And you know, she had a whole life before me and it was still luck. I loved going. We became great friends, but at the same time, it was still a little strange. I'm sure for the people around her and certainly, um, cause even she said one time, 
at one time she looked at me and she's just like, I, this is so weird that you're here. And I'm like, why? And she's just like, I, cause I've spent eight years listening to you on, on, in my ears every week. And now you're here. And I said, yeah, I know I, you know, that happens sometimes with people. It gets a little strange. Um, but I'm lucky that anybody would ever want to spend time with me. I'm, I'm happy that anybody would see that I have any sort of value to their lives. So, uh, Maki Mondays it was. And then, you know, 2016 turned into 2017 and, and I'd see her and I'd see her. And then she went into, re- maybe not remission, but it wasn't there, but they were trying different chemo, an oral chemo and, or they would, do, and I don't want to reveal too much, but she started to go through different procedures because things were changing. She was finding masses and then they were coming out, but then they were going away, but then there was a shadow. And it's just that, that, you know, I can't imagine how it feels to live with that uncertainty all the time, especially at that young an age, you know, if you, you know, and then when my mom got cancer, she got lung cancer because my mom got sick in 2013, uh, 2014, I think, you know, and, and, uh, that's right. Wheelhouse when Maki was going through it, you know, and she would write me and, and, and check in and, you know, my mom's beaten lung cancer twice and brain cancer once, but I talk to her now and it permeates her life. You, you know, I talk to my mom now, who's going to be 76 in June. And, and the first thing is what's the weather like there? All oh, the weather's this, all oh, the weather here's this. Oh yeah. Well, I go for my tests in March. It, it consumes you. And if you're 76, it's hard. You know, you're just you're just trying to enjoy the rest of your time here on the planet. But if you're 44 or or 48, you you have to be thinking you're getting robbed of your vitality now and whatever life you might have left to live. That's that's the thing. You know, you if you if there was a guarantee that you were going to get through it, and you, but you had to give up three years of chemo and hard work and, and no work, whatever the fuck, then maybe you make that deal if they say, but you'll live to be 80. But the crushing uncertainty has to weigh on you almost as much as the physical. Like I said, she had oral chemo. So, I mean, her veins were just getting fucked and she was getting poison put inside her and, and, and she fought through it. I mean, I, you know, very, I, I spent time with Maki and, and, we didn't talk about it, you know, at length. We talked about it every time I saw her, but she, you know, sometimes she'd start to talk about it and she'd choke up. And then, and then sometimes she could just deal with it matter of factly. It would just, it would hit her differently at different times. And I, I could listen and I, I could go, yeah, I, this is awful. And I'm sorry, you know, and then Armando would come home and hug her and everything would be okay. And, and until the next day or the next treatment or the next time they found a mass. I mean, she would have these weird procedures where they were, they were like draining fluid from her heart. You know what I mean? Like, fuck it. Like, what the fuck is that? Are you kidding me? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Or her lungs would be, you know, they'd have to do it with one lung. And, and you know, the, the cancer would turn up on different sides of her body or there would be a mass. But then it turned out the mass wasn't this and she didn't need to worry about it. And it would be just it was this just again, the devastation you must feel every time you think you're just about to get back to work and your insurance is squared away and then you feel a pain in your calf and then they trace that to something that's on your hip. 
you know, and you just go, what the fuck is happening to me, man, to be betrayed by your body? You know, when you see people get Alzheimer's or you see people who become uh, paralyzed or, or, you know, when they, their, their legs give out or you just, you, you become a prisoner of your own body and therefore your own mind, because all you're left to do is sit there and wonder and worry. And why me the fuck out of every situation you're in? But Maki never did that with me. You know, she, she would always approach it matter of factly, just like my mom, you know, I got my tests, I can do this. And at Maki was always optimistic. Always, always, well, this new treatment should be okay and we'll see, but I don't know what to do, but I'm going to do it because, you know, they say it should help, but I'm not sure we'll have to see, but of course I'm going to do it. And I'm worried about this, but you know, it's this new oral, that was the thing I, I can't get that out of my brain, the oral chemo, because that would just way layer. I mean, that, you know, that was supposed to be easier. And if it, it was anything, but so, you know, through 2018, uh, Maki Mondays started to kind of fall by the wayside a little bit. And I'd write her, you know, I'd text her and I, I didn't, I didn't push, you know, I, I mean, I, I would say, Hey, I'm here, you know, whenever you tell me when, and she would always, this is the one thing she kind of never got over, but she would always go, well, look, I don't want to bother you with, you know, coming all the way. And I'd be like, I, to the point where you know, I wanted to shake her and you know, just go, look, we're friends. I, I want to be there. I'm not, what the fuck am I doing? I'm doing nothing. So please. Um, and I'd tease her about that, you know, when she'd go, well, you obviously you don't want her, all that nonsense, but I started to see it for what it was in late 2018, because then we, we, she would start to schedule days with me and then she would cancel. She would cancel a week beforehand. She would cancel two days beforehand. Um, she would say, let's do it tentatively. And then even the very next day she'd call to cancel. Um, she said, we, we, you know, we're having friends over or the house is being remodeled or all, there was always a thing. And you know me, I'm a fucking banana head. So in my head, I'm like, is this run its course? Like, do I, does she not want to be hanging out anymore? Maybe that's the case. And, and that would make sense. You know, she's, she's known, she had a life long before I walked into it and she might be seeing other friends and she might be doing whatever. And then, um, it dawned on me through seeing a lot of her other social media posts. Um, she couldn't have me over. Yes. The house was being remodeled and, and yes, she was having other friends over, but she also couldn't stand up. She was losing this fight. And as much as I like to think that I could have gone there and buoyed her with the, Hey, you know, this is a, come on, man, let's up and at him, all that bullshit, or even just to give her some normalcy of a conversation about fucking or whatever. Um, I, I, I had to realize that maybe she wasn't up to having me come up there. That maybe even walking to the deli or driving to the deli or eating lunch at all would be a chore and she didn't want to tell me that because again out of her misplaced idea that she had to comfort me in some way by saying oh you don't have to drive all this way or although you know you you're never inconveniencing me at all but I think rather than say to me look I um you know I'm I'm not doing good she instead would schedule and then postpone and schedule and then cancel and 
you know, I'd send, I'd still send a text and I'd say, all right, well, look, you let me know when, and I, I can, I can tell you that I would, she would pop into my head at random times, like in the shower. And I'd go, you know what, Jesus, I haven't heard from Maki. I haven't seen Maki. You got to remember to call her. You got to remember, not call her. I got to remember to text her. I didn't call her because I, you know, I didn't know if she wanted to talk or she could talk even, you know, if she was that, that, that medicine fucks you up. You've, you've, I know people out there, you, you've been through cancer with your uncles, your aunts, your moms, your dads, your brothers, whomever. And you had to see it take them. Whether it took them fast or slow, it fucking took them. And you just sat there helplessly and you didn't know what the fuck to do. And you wanted to do everything. You, you thought there was anything you could do, you would do it, but there was nothing to be done. So Maki, uh, she would cancel dates. And I, and I would think of her, I'd pop in my brain and I'd go, well, you can't do more than you're doing. You've, you've reached out to her. Um, there, there's no reason to, to bother her about it. You know, you, 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 and every text I've sent, I've say, Hey, look, I'm here when you need me or want me, you say the word and I'm there. So she knew, and she was never one to kind of blow that off. She got that part of it. But I think in her own brain, she was not ready. She couldn't see me. She just was wiped out. So we haven't done a, a, a Maki Monday in a while. Uh, I haven't seen her in like four months, I think it was. Four or five months. And uh, and about a month ago, five weeks. No, no, it was the end of January. It was the end of January. It was a month ago. Um, she texted me. And she was happy that I was on Twitch and she heard I was playing Red Dead. And I should tell you this, Maki was a gamer. She was a tech geek. She was a geeky, you know, that's what she loved. She loved that sort of thing. She loved comedy. Oh my God, she loved comedy. She got to see Burt Kreischer in December. She was so happy. Um, I think it was December. It might have been November. But but still, I, I just... She loved comedy. She loved to laugh. And she loved gaming. So she would play Red Dead all night because, again, she's homesick. And then sometimes you can't sleep and the medicine would affect her in weird ways. So she had a friend in Ohio and they would play online together. They'd play Red Dead. And she would tell me all these stories that she'd be playing and she loved it and she was good at it. And then when the guys, guys would find out she was a girl like gamers wouldn't want to play with her, like they wouldn't want her in the posse or whatever. And she was just like, what is, what is, <laughs> she, we would talk about the dynamics of the, of the online experience. And, uh, and she's one of the reasons why I have been trepidatious to go online and play games while I'm on Twitch, because I, I, she told me about the environment. You know, once, once people found out she was a woman, they would either try to kill her or they would leave her. Like they wouldn't be in her posse anymore or whatever the fuck. It was just crazy. So she would play all night with her friend in Ohio. And she told me about this game Red Dead. And I had no idea what it was, but she was like, oh my God, it's so amazing. It's, you know, you're a cowboy. It's an open world game. She played Red Dead 1, I guess it is. And uh, and she just couldn't wait for the second one to come out. And so then, you know, like I said, we lost contact near the end of 2018. We didn't really talk much. I'd send her a text a month. She'd answer me back and she'd schedule something. She'd cancel it. And But then I wound up doing the Twitch thing and I, and I got a PS4 and I got Red Dead because I saw clips online. So I started to play it. Well, when she heard that I was playing it, because um, again, I started to go, you know, live in, in December on, on Twitch. And that's when she contacted me. It was in, in you know, it must have been the middle of January. 
And she texted me and I texted her back. We talked. So I wanted to see if I can come see her in January. And she's like, oh my God, you're playing Red Dead. And uh, she said, can you call me? And I said, sure. And this was, uh, like I said, middle of January, maybe near the end. And I, I called her and and we talked for three hours. And and she told me that, uh, you know, she was sick and wasn't feeling great. She, and she said, you know what, we were remodeling the house and there were friends over and stuff. But at the same time, I just wasn't up to doing anything. So I was I was right in, in what I had thought. And I said, well, you know, that doesn't bother me. I mean, I can, you can, if you just want to sleep while I'm there. And she goes, yeah, but that's not any fun for you and that's not good. And I go, nah, dude, it's not about that. And she says, well, but also at the same time, I don't want to just sleep while you're here because I mean, if you're coming up here, I want to hang out. And, but if I can't, I can't. And I said, you know what? Yeah. And so then I just went, you know what? You're right. I mean, in, in, I can't make it happen. I can't insinuate myself into her life and, and, and say, well, stop doing these things and do this so I can make you feel better. I would, I just want to make you feel better. Let me come by and make you feel better. You know, nobody, I, it's just, you don't do that. But we talked and we talked and we talked and we talked about Red Dead and she said, how is it? I said, it's amazing. And she hadn't, she hadn't been playing Red Dead too because she'd, you know, been sick. And, and I said, well, hell, I'll just, I'll, you want me to ship it to you? You can play it or something. You want me to, I go, I have the PS4 version and I don't think she had a PS4. And she's like, no, but she goes, would you, uh, would you play online with me? And I went, oh, I go, you said everybody kills you online. And she's like, well, yeah, but it just be, it'll be me and you playing and we'll, we'll get her friend from Ohio together. And she goes, we can be like our own little posse. I said, I, I said, dude, I would do that immediately. I said, you got to tell me how to do it. I have no fucking clue. I go, I've just been doing the story mode online uh, or I'm sorry, on Twitch. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. It's easy. You just, you do this instead. And, but there's a way. And, and she started to explain it. And I was like, I, great. I said, you tell me when. When you're up to it, you tell me and we'll figure out a date and a time. I said, I, I've been streaming like, but from three o'clock until late a lot of the time I said, but I can amend it. I said also, and this was, um, right around the time that Mondays became for podcasts. And I said, you know, I, I'm making this shift. So maybe Monday nights would work. And, and, uh, and she said, great. Oh my God. She goes, I'm so excited to play the second one. I haven't played it yet. And I really, I go, it's amazing. It's an amazing achievement. I said, I, you know me, I haven't played in video games in 20 years easy. I said, and so for me to go on and see what they've done. And, and I said, this is the, the most incredible thing I've ever played. I it's the game. And she's like, Oh my God, I told you. I said, yeah, but I'm hearing that this is so much better than red dead one. Like just the graphics and the gameplay. I, I said, I'm excited for you to play it. And I would love to play online with you just to see you go. Wow. I want, I want to do it. She's oh great. And we talked about that and she talked about her work and her insurance problems and trying to talk to them and get it squared away. And you know, it's that thing where your work is covering you for a very, you know, for however long. She's been sick a very long time, and and she's just as frustrated as her work was. And she would talk about this, and um, you know, she wanted her job back, and then she wanted to get her insurance. I'm there. They just you listen is what you do, because again, unfortunately, people have to deal with the minutia of that bullshit when they should be wondering how they're going to stay alive, when they should be channeling all of their energy. And again, as I've mentioned, that's just so exhausting when your every waking moment is consumed with doing something to keep you alive. I can't imagine. And I know I'll face it. We'll all face it. You know, it's that thing where once you get older, eventually that's that, that sort of thing will, that shadow looms for all of us. So we talked on the phone. And, uh, and it was great. And I said, you tell me when I'll go online with you whenever you want. 
And then I didn't hear from her. And I've been, you know, busy, consumed, podcasting and life, streaming. Um, and then I, I picked up my phone and I saw on Facebook that she was in hospice. And I, I don't know a lot about being sick. I don't know the... How do you, um, how you get from here to there? Okay. The, uh, how are you all of a sudden in hospice? Like it, it just, it makes no sense. I had just talked to her. I had talked to her three weeks ago, a month ago, and now she's in hospice. Cause she had mentioned when we talked that again, like I said, she, well, they're trying this new medication. And one of the reasons they switched her to the oral chemo was because her veins were just fucking done. She had a portacath in her chest, which, you know, Karen had that too. And that's a miracle because they can just, you know, stick something in your chest and do what they got to do. But when they still got to take blood out of your veins and your veins are so fucking weak from getting destroyed by poison, that's no fun. So they got to play the vein game on your arm or on your hand and try to search for it. And they're just, they're just drawing fucking dust. So she was going through that. And uh, it came back with a vengeance. You know, I, I found this out when I talked to her, her boyfriend that, um, you know, I saw that she was in hospice. And so I wrote her a note. I, I just went, listen, Jesus Christ, I, I don't know how this happened, but you need to tell me what I can do. I said, if you want me to, if you want to, if you want to Red Dead with me, you want to play online with me, you want me to come down there and play with you, you want me to come read to you, you want me to laugh with you, you want me to breathe with you, you want me to sit with you, you tell me and I'm there, whatever you need. And uh, I got a text back and it, and, uh, it wasn't Maki, it was her boyfriend, Armando. And he said, uh, hey Mike, I got your note. And, um, you know, if you, if you want to come see Maki, that would probably be a good idea. Um, you know, she's in hospice when when she's here at her parents' house. So why don't you come and, and, you know, whenever, and I was like, okay. And I said, uh, when, when do you want me to do this? You tell me, cause I, I tried to put it in his court. I go, listen to me. I know you have so many people you're juggling so many different things and I don't want it to be, you know, fucking grand central station at the, at the house. So when do you need me there? When can I be there? And he just said, um, you need to come soon. And I said, I can come today. This was Friday after I got off my stream. And uh, I said, I can come now. And he said, no, that's fine. He goes, what about tomorrow? I said, great. Tell me when. Tell me when. And he said, uh, he wanted me to come in the afternoon at noon. I said, great, I can do this. So I, uh, I, I, I did some research on what hospice means, and I found out that hospice means that you're home, and they're trying to keep you comfortable because the inevitable has arrived. So Saturday morning, I woke up, and uh, he texted me, and he said, "Hey, I know we said noon, but can we make it one?" Because again, he's juggling, you know, he, he, he then gave me his phone number so I could text his phone because he was answering me on her phone. And then he answered me from her Facebook account. I mean, all, all these different things. And, 
And finally, he just gave me his number. He's like, and I said, all right, I will text you on your number going forward. And I said, sure, man, one o'clock works. And it actually worked out for me because then I could go, you know, on Maki Mondays, I, I asked her a couple times, you know, because I'd go down there and we'd eat lunch, we'd do whatever. And then I said to her, I go, hey, is there anything you want from up here? Like, I've never even asked. Do you want me to bring anything to you? And uh, she said, oh, my God, you ever heard of a bakery called Porto's? And I said, fuck, yeah. I mean, there's, there's you know, my ex-wife discovered it in Pasadena, and then they built one on my street. Uh, and and I said, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I know exactly what it is. She goes, well, you know, we really like Porto's if you want to do it. So I would just go there when I, when I would go for Maki Mondays, I'd say, what do you want? She'd go, well, I don't, you know, pick an assortment. I go, well, you got to tell me, is there anything specific that you like? Cause I'll happy and whatever Armando likes, whatever Nathan likes or her, you know, which is her nephew, your brother. I go, whoever wants something, you tell me. And she said, well, they have these pastries that have guava in them. So I, you know, so I literally went to this Porto's and again, they have these things called cheese rolls, which are just like kind of cheese danishes, but part croissant. I mean, they're so fucking delicious. It's this Cuban bakery and they, and they are fucking hammered. They print fucking money. So whenever I would go to Maki's, I'd go there and I'd have to wait in line for, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes. And then I just loaded up. I go, you know, give me like 12 cheese rolls. And then they had three different guava. They had guava and cheese. They had regular guava. Then they had guava rolls, which were just like these round pastries with guava inside. So I said, give me four of those, four of those, four of those. I mean, I didn't fucking know, man. I just, whatever she liked, whatever she wanted, I'd be happy to bring it. So on Saturday, I got, I went to Porto's because in my mind, I thought, well, look, you know, again, hospice is about being comfortable. And I know she loved this. So I'm happy to go. I know Armando likes the guava stuff. So that's cool too. But at the same time, um, I recognized that they were going to have a lot of people coming through their house. I've learned in the past from wakes and funerals, um, never having dealt with hospice, but if you have a situation where people want to say goodbye, then then it's going to be very busy. And I felt, well, you've got to have just just pastries or whatever. Just have stuff for people. So I went to Porto's on Saturday. And uh, it was a weekend. And the line was out the door, man. And again, I was in line for 35 minutes this time. Same thing. Give me 12 of these, 6 of these, 4 of those naked lady tees. Free bowl of soup with that fucking hat. <laughs> Loaded up on the guava. Grabbed myself a pair of Danish for the ride down. And, uh, and hopped in the car and went. And... Went to her parents' house, and they, you know, they've met me. And again, I'm sure they cast a weird, you know, I'm six two, three forty, big guy. They're probably wondering who I am, and you know, oh, that's my radio friend, that's my podcasting friend, you know. And because her parents were, um, um, like her her mom, you know, she spoke with a Japanese accent, you know. So I, I, I and her father, I believe, was um, was also the same. I and mean, we, he, he, but he had a, he didn't have much of an accent. And he, you know, they were, they were lovely. They were very nice to me always. And they loved her so much. Um, but also at the same time, they were shell shocked, man, because they're trying to deal with the fact that their daughter is so sick. It's just, nobody wishes this on anybody. And, and, and it's all, it's coming for all of us. You know, there's, there's, there's a looming shadow over all of us. So, um, they uh they were having her at her place or at their place i should say 
And so I went there, wasn't far from her house. And, uh, I showed up at the portal as I walked in, you know, and, uh, they were very nice to me when I walked in everybody, any of the father, it's that, it's that thing I talked about with my dad's wake life goes on. And so people are, uh, trying to have some normalcy and these are her parents and her mom's in the living room and she's arranging stuff and having, you know, visiting with a friend on the couch and her dad is puttering around in his workshop in the garage and in a bedroom in their home, their daughter is dying. And I, I don't, I will never understand that. I, I felt so deeply for them and they, you know, they, they were dealing with it in, in, with smiles and everything seemed to be fine. And it was that thing where in your brain you go, well, this is, I mean, shouldn't you guys be, I mean, this place should have like fucking black crepe up and shouldn't everybody be fucking sad. But in reality, what, what's that going to accomplish? You know, they, they, they may have accepted the inevitability and this is how they dealt with it. You can't tell anybody how to grieve. You can't say, oh, well, you shouldn't, you should be doing this. You should be doing this differently. What if you were doing this? Well, there's, there's, that doesn't, that doesn't compute for anybody. It doesn't make sense. You know, let people be who they are and what they want to be. But it still is odd. You know, it's it's an odd thing. And I don't I don't have a child to bury. So thankfully I'll never have to have that fucking unique pain. So I came in and her mom, you know, she hugged me and I, and I had the portos was in it, two giant bags. They're like, oh my gosh. And, uh, and Armando came out and he was a ball of fire. He's just like, Hey Mike, oh my God. And he, he, he was manic. He was very amped up. And, uh, and so he comes in and I said, Hey, we got some portos. We put it down and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and somebody brought brownies. They go, just lay it on the counter. And Armando comes out. He goes, oh, yeah, put it on the counter. We'll get some water for you. Whatever you want to do. If you want a cherry, whatever you want. What's going on right now? Her friend Sonia's in there. And and he's just talking a mile a minute. And uh, I looked at him and I put my hand on his shoulder. I go, how you doing? Because I had written him. I said, look, you got to take care of yourself. Remember that. No matter what, you got you to stay within yourself and do the best you can to self-care. So I put my hand on his shoulder. I go, how you doing? He goes, I'm, I'm okay, barely. And I could see just frazzled. And, uh, you know, the mom is there and she's talking to a friend and Sonia was in the bedroom with Maki. And so I just, I just fucking hugged Armando, put him in a bear hug. And, uh, he started to talk into my shoulder and then he started to cry. He just choked up and, and I said, listen, you, you don't have to tell me anything. Just throw some water in your face and stay, stay within yourself here. You got to breathe. You got to take care of yourself. He goes, I am, I am. It's just, um, it's the worst year of my life. I said, I know, I, I know. I said some more things and I, you know, I held them and, and, uh, you know, and I said, who, who's in there? He said, oh, her friend Sonia, if you want to go in there, that's totally fine. We'll, we'll bring you in. And, but right now I gotta get some water. I gotta do this. And he, he was just kind of all over the place. And I understood why. I mean, he was, he was trying to do everything at once. Because he didn't know how much time he had left to do anything. So he brought me to the bedroom. And I came in and... uh, There was my friend. 
And um, Maki is beautiful. And she would show me, you know, she had photos of herself from costume parties and these fun. She's just a beautiful woman. And I know that 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 losing, she felt she was losing that. And she did not, and that made her feel awful. And I would, you know, you'd, you'd listen, but I'm wanting to, oh, you're beautiful. I mean, everybody said all that shit all the time, you know, she's, but she's, she, she's wearing a kerchief because her hair fell out and she just did not feel right. And I, and I knew it and we would talk, you know, and she, that's when we would really talk, she would, uh, you know, you'd get down to it. And, uh, you know, she's a beautiful woman. She actually commissioned a painting from David to paint her as a pinup with, you know, what she looked like before she got sick with all of her hair and, and all of her cats in the painting. And David, of course, knocked it out of the fucking park. It's just beautiful. And Maki loved it. Oh my God, did she love it? You know, she got it and she was like, she was just so happy. She, <laughs> she loved it so much. So, uh, I went into the bedroom and, uh, you know, she's in, she's in a hospital bed and she's frail and tiny and, and, uh, Sonia is sitting there at the edge of the bed and she's been her friend forever. And Sonia worked with her at her work, but also Sonia had been a hospice nurse. And so I, you know, went in and said hi to her and Armando was running at the speed of light, trying to get water and help this and shift that and move a pillow here and just doing whatever he could just to keep himself from being idle and having to think about what was really happening. And we talked a little, you know, he talked to me and Sonia and he said it was, uh, it had happened quickly that up until almost two weeks ago, two weeks previous to that or a week and a half, she was fine. And then she went in for another treatment and it didn't take and they were going they were going to try to search for answers and figure out what they were going to do and they weren't sure and they you know the medication what it was that thing where there was another question mark there was another thing for her to ponder another thing for her to worry about another battle to fight and she she didn't want to fight anymore she had spent four years fighting constantly fighting physically and mentally and doing the best she could and 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 it looked like that she just didn't want to fight anymore so what happened was when they told her they were going to have to do this she got sick and um and i guess she went from nursing home from hospital to nursing home to hospice in like three days two days just went home and, uh, you know, Armando brought me and he showed me all the meds she had. You ever see, I have a thing that's like a Monday through Friday for my vitamins because I'm a grandfather. Well, Maki had a month's worth of meds. Uh, and, and also, you know, several times a day, there was like, you know, two Saturdays, two Fridays, you know, whatever the fuck, whatever she needed to get. And then there was, you know, painkillers over here, but then this is over here. And I mean, just insanity. And he's like, yeah, I've got a list here. I got to keep track of this. And there's a little alarm bell. And then, you know, he gave Maki a bell to ring when she needed him. And that was cute. But, you know, she had come home on Friday and I see her Saturday. And I mean, I, she couldn't, she didn't talk. She didn't say hi to me. I saw her and, you know, I sat down and Sonia was there and 
We sat in the room with her while she breathed. And they'd alternate putting things in her nose to breathe oxygen or to put a mask over her face. And she was so tiny in the bed. I sat at the foot of it. Sonia sat a little further up. And, uh, you know, there's no conversation to be had. Again, Maki was very weak. And I talked to Sonia because, again, like I said, she was a hospice nurse, so I was able to get some insight. And she told me some things, and Armando would pop in, and he was, you know, he's doting on us and doting on her, and, and, and every, every time he would talk to her, he would end with, I love you. Do you want water? And she'd nod, or she'd shake her head, or she'd, you know, do you want water? And she'd nod, or whatever, she, and he'd give it to her, and then he'd say, I love you. After everything, do you want a new pillow? I love you. Um, which was to me so important. You you make it the last thing you say always, just in case. And uh, you know he was he was all over. And then I looked at him and I go, he's like, I think I need to make a phone call. And I go, and I looked at him and I go, we got this. I go, you know, Sonia and I are here. Uh, if anything crazy happens, we'll let you know, but go, go do what you got to do. Cause he was getting texted and called the whole fucking time. Because again, I guess on Friday there was a friend of hers who was like, well, I can fly in next month. And Armando's like, that probably isn't a good idea. And then the person came that night and stayed till like one in the morning or midnight or something like that. And, and he was like, yeah, you know, so that, that person was here and I, I you know, I didn't want to be that guy. You know, I, I don't want to be you know, this is, this is about Armando and her parents and, and Maki. And, um, I love Maki. She's my friend and I wanted to come and see her, but also at the same time, I don't want to be a burden for Armando and I don't want to be in the way you're there to see someone that meant something to you and pay respects and do what you can to provide comfort and help. So Sonia and I were there and then they had to shift the oxygen mask. She had she had it in her nose. I'd been there for about an hour and a half at this point. And Sonia, they, they, they wanted to take the one out of her nose and then put the the mask around her face because it was easier to see that she was breathing. And I mean, dudes, she had a fucking an oxygen pump. She had a, a bed thing that kind of made the, the mattress ripple so she didn't uh, lay in one spot for too long and get bed sores. You know, it kept the circulation moving. They had converted this small bedroom into a de facto hospital room. And, and also Armando, he opened the window and he had the fan on because he said the heat coming off the oxygen pump. And I felt that it was really warm because I made the mistake of having the window closed and turned the fan off. I closed the door. I came in here and felt like a fucking sauna. I'm like, oh, dude, that's brutal. So he was very, you know, you're learning everything on the fly and he's doing what he can to manage it and, and keep Maki as comfortable as possible and constantly let her know that she was loved. So they were switching the mask out and he had to move the bed. So he said, Hey, can you, can we move the bed here? I said, what do you need me to do? He goes, nothing. Just move out of the way. I can do this. It's he shifted that. And as he was switching the mask, Maki would sit up and he switches the mask and she looked down and she finally looked up at me. I was at the foot of the bed and she looked at me and, uh, I just waved like, uh, not like a hi, but just, you know, the thing where you just do your little finger, your, your fingers, you just bend your fingers and kind of wave. I did that. She looked at me and I just winked at her and waved and she 
smiled as best she could and waved back. And Armando goes, oh, he goes, she waved at you. I said, she did. I waved at her first. And he goes, yeah, but she doesn't wave. She hasn't, but she hasn't waved at anybody. That's, uh, you should feel very special. I go, I do. Thank you. And, and he goes, oh, that's so great. He goes, you see Mike? You didn't. He leaned forward to talk to her. He goes, you saw Mike. Okay. You waved at Mike. And, and it, he was very happy. And it, it, I don't know if it gave him some hope that she was still cognizant of what was going on. And cause you know, cause she tried to talk. He would say, I love you. And she'd, and she'd say it back. She'd say it back as best she could. So she waved at me and I, I winked at her. I got a, and I got a little smile and, you know, Sonia left and I stayed and Armando was like, are you okay in here by yourself? Cause I have a lot of things to, I said, dude, take care of whatever you need. I said, if something that I can't handle comes up, I'll find you, but we're good. And, uh, so then it was me and her in the room and, uh, you know, I'd ask if she wanted water and, and she did, so I'd hold it for her, and she'd put the straw in her mouth and sip it. And you know, I don't know if she knew. I mean, I, I Armando said she was cognizant, and she knew who I was. She knew who everybody was, but she just couldn't reflect that in what she said back. And I, I don't know if that's true or not, but um, but I got to sit with her and talk to her, and um. And I wanted to talk because I felt that that was the one connection she and I always had was my voice. And I thought even if she can't open her eyes, she can't focus, even if she just lays there, she can hear me just like she heard me during her chemo when she would save me for her chemo. Now I'm there. I'm in person. I can just, I can, I can talk. I can do the one thing that I know she always counted on. So I sat at the side of the bed and I, you know, I stroked her hair and I, I held her hand and I told her about fancy vegetables and I told her about hunting legendary animals. And I told her she was right about that game and how special it was. And I told her we would get to play together. And I told her how much Armando loved her. And how he was doing everything he could to make her comfortable and make sure she was fine. And he, he was contacting everybody and he was just a, just a traffic cop on top of everything else. Not only a, a loving partner, uh, and he told me that they were going to get married. They had become engaged a month before this happened. And he took me in the backyard. They were going to get married in her parents' yard because her mom is, is an amazing gardener and, and just has a beautiful garden in the back. And there was a transom and they had planned it out. That's where they were going to get married. And, and uh, you know, he could barely get through telling me. And she had the ring on in bed. And I told her about riding horses and playing the game and how I couldn't wait to be online and play with her if she ever wanted to play with me. And, and you know, I, I, I did whatever I could to just make it normal 
both of us. And, uh, you know, so I sat with her for, I was probably alone with her for just like 20 minutes. And then Armando would pop in and, uh, you know, he would, he would dote on her and he would, he would, (laughs) he'd rub her legs and he'd fix her blanket and he'd fix her pillows and he would do stuff to do stuff. And I understood why I completely understood why. And, uh, you know, Sonia, I told you eventually she left and, and, um, another friend came by, I, I forget her name, but she came in a house of fire. You know, Telemachia, I love you. Oh my God, I love you. Please, you can't leave. I love you. And then she brought out a book and she started to read the book to her. And, you know, I, I so I gave her the chair that was close to Maki's head because I had had it for a good 20 minutes to a half hour of being able to talk to her and tell her how much I enjoyed being there for Maki Mondays and, and how happy I was that she chose me to be a part of her life. And uh, then this woman showed up and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, she she read, she, she was reading a book out loud and then she'd look at me for approval and it was just, and I, you know, I, again, like I said, you cannot tell people how to grieve. And this girl was wearing it on her fucking sleeve and I got it again. And she'd known Maki her entire fucking life. So uh, I sat and just rubbed Maki's leg while this girl talked to her and, and, you know, stroked her hair and told her how beautiful she was and told her she looked forward to talking to Maki on the other side because she had found out a way to talk to people on the other side because she was talking to her dad every day. And I'm just going, oh, oh boy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but again, people grieve the way they grieve. And Armando would pop in and he'd say, how are we? I'd say, we're good. And, you know, then uh, there's always that awkward thing that, you know, Maki had to use the bathroom. So I'm, you know, I'm like getting myself fucking scarce and running the fuck out of there. I'm like, nah, no, that's not, I'm not, I'm not going to be here for that because there's, I thought he was going to have to help her to the room, but instead he had a chair and he had to bring, he, once he brought the chair and I go, all right, I'll, I'm going to go in the living room now. I'm going to be so, you know, like it, it's, I'm, I'm not, I've had to go through that myself in the hospital. I, I get it. So, you know, he, he and the other girl took care of Maki and I said, come get me whenever. And I went up talking to her mom a little bit and, and I talked to her dad and, uh, you know, we talked about baked goods cause he's like, Oh, he goes, you can come over anytime you want. I said, absolutely. I'm happy to bring it, you know? And, and that was great. And, and then I popped back in and I, I, I was there, you know, pretty much the whole afternoon on Saturday. And, uh, that girl was reading and then another girl was waiting and I went, you know, it's, it's time to go. Uh, you know, you can come back, whatever you got to do here, but it's, it's just a never ending stream of people and rightfully so because Maki was loved by so many people and they all needed to have their half hour in her ear like I had. So I uh, I, I told Armando I was going to take off and I leaned in on Maki and you know Armando took her friend and started talking to her so I could have a minute and uh I told her I loved her and I thanked her again and I told her to stay as strong as she could and uh, and then I hugged her 
and uh, I left. I walked out with Armando, got on the porch again, and I said, hey, uh, you know, I know you have so many people coming and going, and he goes, well, look, he goes, if you want to come back, you come back whenever you want, he goes, obviously, and I said, all right, I said, uh, you know, I won't come tomorrow because tomorrow, he went because I knew for sure he had like eight or nine people coming on Sunday, I said, look, um, I can come Monday or Tuesday, I said, you tell me what works best. I said, I'll probably, I said, for sure, Tuesday. I go, no later. I go, but I can come back Monday. I go, you got to tell me though. I go, I'm going to leave this in your court. You know, I understand the parents and you. I go, this is their house. I don't want to be constantly hanging out and lurking. And um, he goes, no, no, it's it's fine. You know, she loved you. I said, well, I loved her. And he said, yeah, no, she, you were a huge part of her life for forever. For a very long time. And, and uh, you know, since I've been around. I said, yeah, I, I know. I'm I'm proud of that. And uh, and then I told him, look, you got to take care of yourself. I said, always throw water in your face. Walk out and let the wind hit you and drink a lot of water and do what you can to take care of yourself. I said, don't run yourself ragged here. I said, and, and you know, I know you got a good cop and bad cop people going in and out of the room. I said, but you just, you do everything you can to keep her safe and comfortable. He goes, of course, absolutely. And I knew he would. I knew he would. But at that point, what do you say? What do you say? So, uh, I gave him a hug, you know, and he broke down again, you know, and and I just told him, hey, look, man, you're doing the best job you can. You're doing the best job of doing the worst job in the world. And he, you know, we talked some more and, and I said, all right, man, um, Definitely Tuesday, but probably Monday. Whatever you got, you tell me. Keep me in the keep me in the loop here. And he said, "Okay." And I got in my car and I drove home. And uh, sobbed, you know, on the way to the car, leaving him on the porch, leaving him on his prospective mother and father-in-law's porch, as his fiance lied dying in a small bedroom not fitting of the task. And I got in my car and I just, I, you know, I was overwhelmed. I, I cried. I, I didn't, I, you know, all the stuff from Friday with Brody hit me and, and all the stuff that I had just gone through and, and Maki who, you know, I knew Brody. I was friend. Well, I was friends with Brody, but I was, I, I can't sell it short. I was friends with both of them. Different kinds of friends. Both had been a part of my life since I pretty much since I'd started this show, certainly. Brody before that, because I started doing stand up and I would see him, you know, when I got here in ninety seven. He was he came from Seattle. Um and uh and so I left. I got home and, uh, and Saturday I stayed up really late. I didn't stream. I was good. Cause I was going to go home and I was going to go online. You know, I stream every Tuesday through Sunday and, and Saturday, man, I didn't fucking want to, I didn't want to play games. I didn't want to do anything, but you know what I did? I, I cleaned my house. <laughs> I vacuumed. I cleaned out my spice cabinet. Um, cause I want to start cooking, you know? So I, 
I ordered fresh spices online. <laughs> I threw away old spices that expired in 2009. I just fucking, I just, I took a fucking power washer to my house. Broke down a fuck ton of boxes just and, and redid my fucking linen closet. Just just anything. Busy work. With wireless earbuds in my in my head, walking around listening to music, losing myself and crying. Just finding that I would feel low at the weirdest moments. It would just fucking strike me. Like when I saw Graham post the thing about the Cubs, that was that night, and I just I fucking had to sit down. And 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 put my head in my hands. I I just it just was just fucking raw. And again, I certainly had a much more personal relationship with Maki. The Brody thing hit me really hard. But I think I'm just susceptible to being hit hard these days. Because I could I could be either of those people. I'm 51. Who knows? Who has any idea? You know, I don't take care of... I, I Certainly, I don't take the best care of myself. So, I, I mean, anything could fucking come up. And it's that age, like... <laughs> truthfully, Sunday, I started to get a pain in my back. Now, I lift three times a week, you know? And, and also, I've told you, like, I'll be driving an Uber and, and my leg will feel bad. I'm like, what the fuck's that? Well, it's because my leg is in that position for eight, nine, ten hours. Well, then like my lat started to hurt underneath my right shoulder blade. And I'm like, well, that's weird. That's new. And then I wondered, well, what if there's a mass? What if there's something in there that I can't get to? Because it felt weird. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't like I pulled a muscle and I wasn't doing anything else. And it just started to be painful. And, uh, and so I worried about that. And, um, you know, I worried about mocking. I worried about going back to see her on Monday and, and, and Saturday night was just uh, strange. I, w- I went and buried myself in stuff about Brody online, and and uh, just I just felt terrible because again to see a light extinguished, to see, to see joy stolen from people, it's there's not enough of it in this world, and for it to be gone is is wrong. So Saturday was bad, you know. Spent the afternoon there, came home and just drifted around. Like I said, cleaned out my entire fucking apartment and figured out what I could do. <laughs> Rearranged some deck chairs on the Titanic, listened to the band, watched for the iceberg. And, uh, you know, I went to bed super late on on Saturday and then I was going to stream on Sunday. And I wasn't sure, you know, because I had finished God of War and I was, I had played it, like I said, on Friday and I was getting constantly beat up by a Valkyrie. <laughs> it was just fucking not fun because, again, I had lost my friend and I didn't know what to do and I just, I just wasn't having a good time. So I was like, well, I can go, I can pick it back up on Sunday if I have to. And, uh, cause, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to play. And then, uh, You know, I, I was I was debating whether I should play Red Dead or not. And then I got a text from Armando at 11.30 Sunday morning. And he said, Mike, I just wanted you to know that she's at peace. 
And so I lost my friend Maki Cook Ruiz. Everyone lost their friend Maki Cook Ruiz. Armando lost his fiance, Maki Cook Ruiz. Her parents lost a daughter, Maki Cook Ruiz, on Sunday morning at 1130. And, uh, I, you know, I texted him back how much he was loved and how sorry I was for him. And, and, and if he needed me for anything to let me know. And then that day I went online and my mind was made up for me. And I went and played Red Dead Redemption 2. And, uh. As emotionally weird as my weekend was, I found catharsis, and I had a fucking blast. And uh, and I caught five legendary fish, <laughs> and I killed a legendary cougar, and uh, there was a point where I found a horse. And in the game, you name your horses. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I didn't, I, uh, I considered naming it Maki. And then I thought, you know, this is the dumbest thing you've ever thought. <laughs> like I thought I was like, well, maybe this would be like a fun tribute. And I mean, you know, then people would say why, and it would be a thing. Cause there's people in the chat room. And I thought, well, this would be, and then I went, what are you doing, man? This is, this is like when people write on Facebook, when some actor dies and they're like, oh my God, it means the world to me. It's like, this is, this is the most hollow of tributes. <laughs> and, I, and I said, you know what? Don't do that, dude. That is just, that is literally, that is the the complete epitome of performative grief. So we named it Cantaloupe. Because it has to come from the show. And I didn't want to stop playing because I know how much it meant to her and how much she loved it. And playing it made me think of playing with her and the fact that she was gone. And I, I never got the opportunity. And so you know what? Sunday, I streamed for nine and a half hours. Because I was having fun, because I was losing myself, because I was remembering my friend, and because also I was avoiding the world. If I had a controller in my hand and I was killing Legendary Cougar or getting killed by him or laughing about it, I didn't have to go and look at photos of my friend who I'd lost or see video clips of my other friend who I'd lost. So... This was a show I didn't want to do. I don't think it's a show anybody would want to do. And initially, um, you know, I thought I was going to get in here and talk a little bit about my friends, and then I was going to play uh, the episode I had with Maki. You know, when I started to do Mondays with Maki and Maki Mondays, I'd go there, and then, um, you know, I, I pitched her. I was like, do you want me to record at your place? She's like, oh, my God, I would love that. If you would do that, that would be amazing. So I did record a show at her place last year. And uh, it was, a, uh, <laughs> you know, she was in the room 
and I did it. I think I almost did like three hours. Um, and I loved it. I thought I was fucking funny as hell. It's one of my favorite shows from that year. And it's called Judy with the Speedboat. Now, I look up, and uh, I remember that show was almost three hours long, and I see that I've already, I, I mean, I, I don't know where the time has gone here. I thought I would talk a little bit about my friends, then I would put this episode that I did at Maki's house in as a tribute. But in reality, I see that that's not going to be feasible because then you're going to get a podcast that's five and a half hours long or five hours and whatever the fuck. And you're going to go, Jesus Christ, I can't, we can't, what, what they, what's, what's, has Mike gone mad? Yeah, a little. So I won't add that. In the next couple of days, I may upload it separately. But in the next few days, I may also just cry and remember my friend and then remember my other friend and remember the weekend and the weird five days that I don't wish on anybody. You guys can get me at Mike at MikeSchmidtComedy.com. You guys can be my friend at Facebook.com slash the 40-year-old boy. You guys can follow me at twitter.com slash the 40-year-old boy. I'm also available at Instagram and Snapchat at uh, uh, Mike40YOB. And I'm on Twitch every week, every Tuesday through Sunday, although that's going to be amended because streaming every day is turning into a uh, thing. And I think i got to throttle it down a little bit. So I'm on Twitch. Twitch.com slash, oops, let me take that back. Twitch.tv slash the 40-year-old boy. You can find me there. And uh, watch the live streams follow if you can, because then you'll be notified when I go on live, because the schedule's going to be changing, ever-changing. Uh, we've got the YouTube channel. Go check that out. And uh, please remember Ryan Dirks does all of the web stuff for this show. You can find him at Facebook.com slash Ryan Dirks. And uh, our good friend David Hernandez has handled art and music for this show. You can be his friend at facebook.com slash David Mex Hernandez. Uh, you can go ahead and check out his work online at his website, artbydmh.com. That's A-R-T-B-Y-D-M-H.com. Uh, if you want him to do work for you, you want to commission a painting like our friend Maki did. Maki Cook Ruiz hired our friend David and he painted her as a burlesque pinup with her cats. It's a beautiful painting because Mex does beautiful work. And Maki was a beautiful woman. So you can't go wrong with that combination. If you want to do the same, you can hire David. Like I said, you can observe his work at artbydmh.com and you can contact him at facebook.com slash David Mex Hernandez. Write him a note in Messenger. Uh, he works in oils. He works in watercolors. He's a painter. He's... He's everything. He's a renaissance man. He does music. He does everything you could possibly want him to do. I mean, he's not going to sell you music. I don't think he'll do a song for you. But he certainly will do a painting for you. What do you want to commission him to do something? Um, he's your guy. So find him at artbydmh.com. Check out all of his work there. And then go uh, find him at facebook.com slash Hernandez. And I don't know how to end this show. I don't. Playing raucous music on the way out doesn't seem to make sense. 
Um, and I, and I, at this very moment, again, I don't know what I'm going to do. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go find an appropriate song recorded by my friend, David, and, uh, something that I think fits. And I will let him take me and you and my friends Brody and Maki home. Yeah.